to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your resurrected neophyte, Frank. And today we are going to find our, make our way, or try to make our way, through Degrassi The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 9, Against All Odds. Now to help us through this stirring tale of love and betrayal um, is one of, our, uh, one of our guests who has appeared once before, uh, Jazz. Hey, Jazz. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me again. So happy to be back. We needed you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm glad to extend my services to this absolute dumpster fire. Oh, fuck. So before we get too far into this, let's stick some content warnings on this one. Um, Inevitably, we're going to be talking pretty, uh, pretty risque teenage sexuality. Um, We're also going to be talking a bit about... We're just going to be talking about racism a whole lot this fucking episode, because... Yeah. And homophobia. Yeah, well, that's the other one, homophobia. So we got, we got like, you know, the, the holy trinity of us talking about Degrassi, I guess. <laughs> you might be asking why I'm resurrected this week, because I died watching this episode, and now I've come back to life to talk about it. Thank God. And also, the cats have uh, voiced their own displeasure about this because I think one of them just used the litter box. Oh, 100%. Because <laughs> while they cannot speak on the show, um, they definitely made their opinion known on this one. <sighs> Can't say I blame them. No. Um, so, Jazz, as our guest, um, we've talked a little bit about your relationship with Degrassi last episode. Um, yeah. Have you revisited any of it outside of the episode you had to watch for this appearance since then? Not at all. <laughs> that is fair. That was not a test. I was just curious. <laughs> I I briefly entertained the idea, especially like since it's all on YouTube, but then I kind of sat back. I was like, I don't I don't know that I need that right now. That's fair. That's very fair. <laughs> um However, we do expect you to introduce us to the plots. Now, when I say plots, I dare say that we have an A-plot, B-plot, C-plot kind of situation. If, if you'd like to introduce those. Um, well, if we're mashing up the A-B-plot, since, you know, they're sort of similar and they sort of follow at least the same kind of universe as compared to the c-plot which is like completely disconnected um i wrote down julius caesar predicts cheating while marco is my good good son <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> that is 100 percent it <laughs> so let's get to it um as jazz kind of noticed there's it kind of seems to be that there is like a two plots of course i should looked up what the writing term for this is but like there's like an a plot and a b plot but they kind of connect together, um, which is a plot with featuring Emma and a plot featuring Manny. And then there is this other plot, the C plot, question mark, um, which which features Marco and the boys, basically. So let's hop to... Every time. I know. The boys! The boys! <laughs> the boys! What? I was just reiterating. <laughs> anyway... Um, let's hop to that one. Sorry, just a quick interjection. Like, I keep thinking to myself, like, oh man, I can make this episode, this episode of the podcast so much dumber by just adding so many dumb edits, like throwing in that Romeo plus Juliet one, or the thing from the B movie. 
<laughs> I mean, you could. Oh you could, because this was a fucking nightmare of a plot. But, um... <laughs> So it opens up pretty pretty tamely. We have Armstrong walking around. Armstrong is passing out tests, um, and he's kind of like going over like how their performance is. So he basically what it dilutes to is Jimmy sucked. Spinner did somehow sucked more, and Marco did surprisingly well. Why surprisingly? <laughs> yeah, why is it a surprise? Marco is very good at school. Because he's gay and he can't do math. <laughs> Um, but they, so, like, they all kind of blew it, except for Marco, and Armstrong is ruthless and has a test coming up on Monday as well. I know, God, like, what kind of teacher just hates his students like that? Yeah, seriously, because it's like, it sounds like he graded it with a decent turnaround, and then he's like, oh, by the way, but also, like, that kind of feels, it kind of tracks my experience in math, where I felt like I had, like, some sort of examination, like, literally, like, every three days. I was so bad at math, I couldn't keep up. It was all pacing. I took, I took math for liberal arts majors. I did, too. In college. <laughs> And you know what? It was even more confusing than actual math. Oh, see, I had a great teacher for that class. He like was a philosophy dude, and then he like per then he like got interested in math. Like he was the one who like ran the curriculum of the class, so he was like the strongest. I think the strongest teacher of it because he understood it. But like any other teacher, sucked. I thought you were about to say he was. I managed to escape and uh, didn't actually have to take any math courses in college. What? I haven't taken a math course since high school. How the fuck did you get out of that? Um, I went to a school that literally the only mandatory class you had to take that wasn't, like, you know, part of your major was, like, a writing class. But we could just go straight into any courses that we wanted to take. It was great. That sounds amazing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I took some very good history courses in college, but, like, how many times did I take algebra? Like, three? I'm bad at... I, I got, I, I did got, you fail algebra in college? Because I failed algebra in college. I failed algebra in college. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. We failed the same fucking class. <laughs> what, okay, so here's the thing. I, 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 I took um, algebra at Rutgers, Newark, passed it. Those great, those credits didn't transfer... Uh, so then I took it in New Brunswick, failed it, then had to take um, take it over the summer with my sister at a community college, and the guy was just like, hand your, your papers in now, I'm going on vacation, I'll have them graded by the end of the afternoon. Oh no. And then he called Susie, because Susie looked upset, and he's just like, you did fine, you're going to pass the class, it's cool. So, he's an older dude too, like, he's in the 60s or 70s. Wow. So... But anyway, um, fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I filled Algebra 2, and that is uh, how I made, how I befriended friend of the show Cassie, because I took it a second time, and she took a seat next to me, and she complimented my Hello Kitty socks, and that's how we became friends. <laughs> yeah, friendship. That's what friendships start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, failing math. That's how it... Failing math compliments, yeah. Then we became family. It's true, we did. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the boys, 
um, try to take matters into their own hands to try and uh, change their fate a little bit because Jimmy decides to invite Spinner and Marco over so they can do like a study sleepover type deal. Um, I do want to say this. I think the only real bright side to this episode is Jimmy. Like, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy was such a breath of fresh air. It just feels like it's like what I want Jimmy to be consistently. Like he truly shines as Marco's friend. And I think that it's so good. I, yeah. I, I want to say, like, I think Jimmy, like, benefits from having non-shitty friends. I think so too. Because, like, Spin, like, we saw him mostly with Spinner. And in, like, the first and second season, and then, like, all of a sudden, Marco shows up, and it's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. He really steps it up. It's like, I mean, I think the thing with Jimmy is that he consistently seems to be the kind of kid who kind of meets wherever the group is at. So, like, if they are misbehaving, he's going to misbehave. If they're doing, if they're good, they're, they're going to, you know, do well. And I think that having a kid like Marco... Not even the fact that Marco was gay. I think also just, like, Marco's a good kid. Like, yeah. he's not a yeah. bad kid. Look, I think he wants to meet... Get, like, it's... The, the, like, it's reciprocal. Like, yeah. Spinner's friendship comes with terms for a lot of the thing. And it comes with competition. Marco just wants a friend. Yeah, like, Marco doesn't have any of these types of... I mean, he has complexes and he's working through a lot of internalized homophobia and things like that. Like, although he is getting much better on that front. Mm. Um, But you can tell that, like, like there's a lack of malice in his relation, in Jimmy's relationship with Marco. And there's a lack of need to, like, dunk on each other that we see with Spinner and Jimmy. It's that competition that you mentioned, Frank. Yeah. And it's just so lovely because, like, he just is like, okay, like, you know, have Marco, let's have Marco come over. And, and you know, Marco's pretty excited. Um, he kind of, like, slaps their backs in true Italian-American fashion. Uh, Italian-Canadian <laughs> fashion. I'm sorry. He's Canadian. Um, and he's just like, anything for my two favorite guys. Um, and Spinner is outright uncomfortable by this and jimmy is just like well what's the big deal like marco did well he's our friend he's gonna help us so that we can do better next test um and spinner's like no marco's fucking stupid like he is so dumb like i swear to god he's he's (laughs) dumb as a brick and it it eventually like jimmy kind of pries it out of him like it's not that, like, you know, he's just trying to find a way to get Marco not to come to the sleepover because he's uncomfortable with the idea of potentially having to sleep in the same room with Marco. <laughs> Cut to Marco outside in the hall, Goodwill hunting a blackboard. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh, man. But, oh, but um, what is good is Jimmy, Jimmy just straight up is like, you gotta suck it up. Like, and I really appreciate that because I feel like it's Spinner, Spinner toes a line in, in his homophobia where, where I feel like he has done things that have been very malicious, like writing a slur on the wall, connecting to Marco and things like that. But at the same time, a lot of his, his issues consistently are these kind of casual instances of homophobia. Um, And I really appreciate that. Jimmy is a character in the story who's straight up saying, like, you realize that's entirely unnecessary, right? Like, it's really good to see it because I feel like it's very easy. 
I feel like it's one of those moments where it's like, is it necessarily realistic? I think a lot of boys would let their friends saying casual homophobic things like and just let it slide. I think Jimmy becomes a really good model in the sense that he is probably saying what a lot of those kids may be thinking but may not feel confident enough to say anything about. So they can go, oh, okay, like that's how you can call someone out. Right, exactly. Like, Jimmy as this kind of force for good in this situation, or not even just like a a force for good, but just like being willing to call people out on their shit, be like, hey, no, you're wrong. Like, especially with that dynamic that him and Spinner have had, like, it's, it's just so refreshing seeing someone willing to take Marco's side and like seeing... Because the, there's always this kind of thing that, oh, you know how homophobic black people are and like mm-hmm. seeing Jimmy as this black, like masculine dude who who's into sports, like sticking up for his gay friend. It's just like super heartwarming. No, I 100% agree. And like the, I don't know, it's like there's this great example of camaraderie between two marginalized people that ends up happening. And, and Jimmy has straight up called up out Spinner and try and like took it in an angle of like saying like oh like you know you are going to constantly belittle and say nasty stuff to Marco because he's gay like you know what is stopping you from saying racist shit toward me and things like that like how fucking how like fucked up are you I'm saying a lot of f f words today we're, we're gonna get passionate about this one folks yeah. like we're gonna drop some bombs I'm sorry but like you know it's the jersey in us it is I'm very I feel it deeply um but like. But, like, um, Jimmy isn't afraid to kind of be like, you know, you are saying stuff and, you know, what is going to stop you? Like, how, you know, how bad are your fucking views, basically? Um, and there's this, and there's this alliance that, that you kind of see develop that, that, like you said, Jazz, like, it's just not really, it's usually characterized in a way that, like, black men are homophobic and they don't, you know, like, they're not going to be accepting and, you know, it, and you have the one kid who's really actively advocating for Marco outside of like Ellie is Jimmy. Yeah. Yep. And it's just, it's a really good thing to see. Literally the only good thing to see this fucking episode. <laughs> right. But actually, I mean, I don't like, I, I agree a lot with everything you guys said, but there is the one like flying the ointment for me is when he's just like, we're going to get used to it because you two are sharing a room. And it's like, right. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that one line. Well, Jimmy got a good boy other than that one line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah. Uh, it's like, like the writers just had to throw in something. Like, they just couldn't leave well alone. Yeah, yeah. but I also... Like, I feel like it does kind of fit with him. It's like... In that he likes... Kind of... St- like sticking it to spin in his soft spots. Yeah, yeah. But like he, I also feel like you know he's not like he's he's not a hundred percent. Like he's a kid. Yeah, like kids. It, are gonna... It's a very kid idea. Number because like there's two ways of looking at it. There's the the way that I think is probably what the writers intend, which is that Jimmy likes to kind of hit Spinner where it hurts because he knows how to do it very well. Yeah. But I also think that take out the potential malice, I think it's a very kid logic to kind of go, you got to get fucking used to it. You got to get exposed to this. Guess what? You're going to share a room with him now cause <laughs> so that you guys can, can like, you know, learn how to coexist basically. So like, even if you took out 
the malicious intent, it's still very, very simple kid logic of basically like the yeah. more you get exposed, the better you're going to feel, which is probably how Jimmy feels to a certain extent, because with Jimmy, he knew that he knew and understood kind of what homophobia was, but it seemed very obvious in the way he talked about it. He didn't really know people who were a part of the LGBTQ community. Now he does. So it's a little like you can see that it clicks better for him now because he has somebody in his life who's a part of the community. Um, so I think he can also, you can also, if you want to take out the malicious read, it could also just be he's seeing it as like, you know, I didn't really get it, but now I know someone who's in, who is, and I, you know, I really care about him. So now I understand why this is important and Spinner just really needs to expose himself and figure this shit out. I like the idea. I was thinking though, I do like the idea of Jimmy just being like, you see, with my parents gone all the time, it allows, opens me up to more creative uses for my apartment and i thought at first parties but i was like no nah, that's boring so now it's jimmy's apartment and exposure therapy laboratory you see you're gonna like hang out with marco to see how you know disgusting and like small-minded your views are while we also dump a bucket of tarantulas on jt oh my god <laughs> i was like going through my head of like okay Who's the one I would least feel sorry for if something bad happened to them? Not, like, injury-wise, but, like, they got a bunch of tarantulas stuff on them. JT. I can't believe Jimmy is running the Fear Factor stunt show at Universal Studios. <laughs> so. Uh, but, yeah, so Spinner just straight up says, like, he has an issue with Marco's direct quote, curiosity. Oh, God. I just... I was like wondering, like I could feel it. I was like, "What term are they going to throw at us? That's not just gonna be gay. Like it's gotta, it's gotta be spicy. It's gotta be something, something new that we haven't seen." With gayosity. It's just like, I guess. Like I was kind of disappointed. It's you all know what it is. This episode, I feel like this moment really speaks to it. I think the whole entire a plot speaks to it. This this episode feel felt. Of the episodes that we've seen, I feel like a lot of episodes are pretty enduring. Like, even if the fashion is a little out of date, the themes are still very relatable and, and you can connect to them. This episode felt the most dated to me. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's like the flavor of homophobia that Spinner displays is really, really dated. The way that, I mean, when we get to the A-plot, we'll talk more about this, but the way that Chris is characterized, slash, like... <sighs> Everything about Chris, honestly, is just so, so dated. Yeah. Painfully so. Yeah, like, it just felt like there were moments in this episode that not only was it like, okay, I'm watching this thing from the early aughts, and, you know, they're dressing like they're from the early aughts, but the concepts and the conflicts and the characterizations felt deeply early aughts. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so Spinner just says that he has an issue with that. The next scene that we have with this plot, they're at Jimmy's. Spinner's complaining <laughs> about spray cheese. Why is this the characteristic they've chosen to keep continue? Small-mindedness. <laughs> Consistency. Some, somewhat open to women's issues. 
spray cheese. Like, I want to... Des- Finner is a man of multiple dimensions. I, like, does it say it in his character Bible? Like, like, do the writers flip through it, and then, like, there's a note, and it's like, please include spray cheese if you get the chance. Circled and underlined. Jesus. Italicized. Spray cheese. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, like, he's complaining about that, because, like, they don't have spray cheese. Is that what he's complaining about? No, he's about? complaining that they got the soup, like, the five-alarm fire spray cheese, which, ew. <laughs> yeah, right? I didn't realize spray cheese came in different... I don't think about spray cheese. I literally never think about spray cheese. This is the most I've had to think about spray cheese, probably my whole existence. I was gonna look up spray cheese flavors, but I'm like, that's an area of Google I don't need to go into. I wonder if it would be, like, weird. I wonder if you looked it up, it would be, like, wacky early aughts flavors. Like, you know how, like, there was, like, green and purple ketchup and shit? Like, it makes me wonder. Was there, like, a Shrek tie-in spray cheese that was green? Think about that. Well, my, my thing is, like, they had that those, like, suntan sunscreens, which were, like... Oh, yeah, the blue, pink, and, like... Yeah, like, how many people got, like, ketchup rubbed on them instead of sunscreen? <laughs> oh, no. I feel like that would be a pretty, a pretty, like, solid mistake that you would be able to catch early, huh? One would hope. <laughs> One would hope. I know, I'm thinking... <laughs> I, like I can I come from the shore, and I don't know um, if y'all have both seen the trailer for us. I haven't yes. seen it yet. Okay, well, there's like, I turned to my friend like, um, in the theater, like when they get to the line "Vodka O'Clock," <laughs> and I was like, "That's the most like Jersey Shore mom thing I've ever heard." <laughs> I think that's when you make the mistake of ketchup instead of sunscreen. Oh my gosh. Early aughts Jersey Shore problems. My fucking novelty color product. I got them confused. Um, or you could go the Pepsi route and just take the color out entirely and make people angry. Yo, I love Pepsi. I love Crystal Pepsi. I saw somebody drink one now from back then and it was just like drink then like cut to 20 minutes of him just feeling awful and then vomiting <laughs> really i had no issues drinking it i quite enjoyed it i and was i was in a haze it's like an 18 impulse. year old one. Oh no because they re-released it i was not drinking the 18 year old crystal pepsi <laughs> you had a special vault where you just kind of sealed it away it's like not yet not yet this is for a special time Okay, so we're doing a teen girl talk thing of like where we so don't want to talk about what we watch. We're just tangenting off, and I, I know, I got us on this route, and I apologize, but like. Anyway, well, it doesn't. So basically, what happens? So let's get to it. So Spitter complains about the spray cheese, and then he's super miffed because Marco is sitting on. So like Jimmy's sitting on one end of the couch, Marco's sitting on the other end of the couch, leaving the middle seat open, and like. Spinner's like, ooh, you took my seat. I don't want to sit in the middle. And Mar- <laughs> Two bros hanging five feet apart because they're not gay. Because <laughs> they're not gay. <laughs> and, like, Michael's like, suck it up. <laughs> sit in the fucking middle, dipshit. <laughs> and then we enter one of the weirder parts of the episode. Okay, I have, I have so many feelings about this. So Jimmy, like, just thinks it's a good idea to put on gangbang porn? 
To be fair, I'm assuming. If, if, I was like about to reveal too much, but okay. Well, I figure if it's a cable channel, it's softcore. That means it'll probably just threesome. I mean, I don't know. They literally <laughs> sounded like. I'm sorry. They commented on the number of people they fit on a pool table, though. Like it, it read to me like there were five people at least. Five to seven is is my guess. Five to seven people. Like five. Like I think it's one dude and like four women from the description that I was hearing. But I, I, I we've seen this before. I still don't understand why would you watch porn with another well, person? Here's my thing. Here's my thing. I actually find. Oh God, this is gonna be whatever. Whatever. Gonna rip off the bandaid. I find. JT and Toby's let's look at like let's load images and look at individual hardcore porn images of women to be far weirder than watching like a Skinamax movie like I feel like Skinamax like even if you're like even if if you're a kid and it's vaguely turning it turning you on it's easy to kind of joke about it and make commentary about it meanwhile I feel like when you're just looking at images and you're just staring at the images like you can't it doesn't give you the room to kind of cover up how you feel. And like, let's be real, like Skinamax things, like they they have funny dialogue, the cinematography is fucked. Like you can actually like <laughs> laugh about it and it's not really that weird. And like, I know like my friends and I did it and laughed about it. Like it, it really didn't stir anything in me personally for probably very obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> But, like, you know, you could look at it and laugh at it, and, like, you could kind of move on from your life. I mean, I'm, uh, me thinks I protest too much, because, but I did do this once, but only with a horrifying hentai called Behind Closed Doors. But I think it's kind of oh, like God. that. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's like that. Like, yeah, like, I feel like hentai, it's a little easier to, to detach yourself from because of the animation aspect of it. But I do think it has a similar quality of it's like it's so ridiculous to a lot of people or like the premises are so ridiculous or the plot is kind of silly or whatever that you can kind of laugh it off. Meanwhile, like Toby and JT's situation was still the weirdest fucking thing. Yeah. Um, so they. They turn on. Uh, or yeah. And like he like then he like turns it off. He's like, oh, not everyone wants to would probably want to watch this. Um, and Marco points out, which is, you know, fair. He's like, you know, you realize I can look at a woman and like not combust, right? Like <laughs> it's like I don't actually hate women. I know it's probably hard for you to understand. <laughs> but um, and then like, you know, he kind of continues joking and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm too busy looking at dot 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 and then he's like jokes, he says, like the drapes. No, I'm looking at the men, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like Spinner's absolute clueless is like, what else would you be looking at? It's like Spinner, please. <laughs> it's like, I agree, men in porn are typically typically not very attractive to me, but <laughs> come on, buddy. <laughs> it's like so interesting to me because spinner seems to constantly be thinking about marco being gay and yet like he like misses these jumps <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's so like <sighs> it's, it's just like this weird like paranoia he has where he's like not actively like 
looking for certain things, but hor- like scared of other things? I think a lot of it connects back to himself, right? Like, he's afraid of Marco being gay because he's afraid, which is unreasonable, by the way, that Marco is going to assault him in some way. Yeah, it's that age-old stupidity. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, boys, we wear fucking film from the 60s. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's it's that kind of shit. And, like, so when, when it comes to looking at Marco having a sexuality he really can't conceptualize it whatsoever because that's not really what like he's very wrapped up in this like oh god what if he touches me oh god what if he like makes eye contact with me what if he like i don't know bumps into me like that's what he's thinking about he's not actually thinking about the fact that like marco is a autonomous gay person who is going to be attracted to men yeah but um Spinner is really grossed out once he realizes what is happening. Like, he seems entirely grossed out by this idea that Marco actually has, like, an autonomous sexuality. Um, And it's just a very uncomfortable time for them, but also for me watching. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it continues to go in this direction. The next scene, Spinner is, like, trying to study. He's exhausted or whatever or bored. It's hard to tell with him. Both. Both. Anyway, you can tell how much I was really observing this episode and not just cuddling Dahlia the whole time. Uh, I had to pay attention because I was waiting for my sister for us to go see a movie about Paige the Wrestler, which we didn't even see. Oh, no. What happened? No, no. No, no, Good reasons. Susie had an interview for a management position at her other job and got it. Fabulous. Congrats to her. And then we watched what is now going to be my recommendation for this week. Good. But yeah, Spinner was struggling to study, and Jimmy decides the best thing to do while your pal is struggling to study is to put on the porn again? <laughs> like, this is so, like, this is the weirdest part for me, because Jimmy it seems to go so back and forth. It's like, the writers weren't sure what to do, but they knew that they wanted this in this on in the background, but they couldn't have Marco turned on, but they couldn't have Spinner turned on. So let's have Jimmy, like, turn it on, then wait, be conscious of Marco, then wait, turn it back off again, and then he turns it back on. It's just so weird, like, having Jimmy interact with this in the space. Yeah, it's like, I almost wish, like, maybe, maybe in the last scene was kind of the last time we see them really study, and, like, maybe they were playing video games and got bored and then turned it back on again or something like that, like... Something else. Oh, and poor, poor Marco being the one focusing on tutoring spinner when he's just like desperately trying to explain what the fuck a variable is it's true marco is legitimately like too good for even making eye contact with spinner to be honest there should be there should be good good son he truly is there should be like a, a special school where just like marco and ellie and not Paige. Uh, like, all the good kids get to go to. <laughs> Liberty gets to go to yes. and doesn't get dunked on constantly. Fariza gets to go. Fariza gets to go. Fariza comes back. Slowly Fariza comes school. back. <laughs> I love this idea. Um, but yeah, so like, Jimmy puts on the porn again. Um, Marco's hand kind of bumps against Spinner's leg and Spinner like jumps up and he's like, Wah! and like, he like kind of like ollies out behind the couch and 
Jimmy and Marco proceed to kind of like just watch the porn, which was almost kind of, it was very teenage boy. So like, I didn't really hate it. So like Jimmy's like pointing out one of the actresses and is like, that is the future Ms. Jimmy Brooks. And Marco's like, why are you into that? Like, you know, like kind of like taking a very teenage, teenager stance of like, oh, she is plastic surgery. Like she's not like, you know, she's kind of artificial. Like the guy looks very natural. And like, that's why I'm attracted to him. Like it's very teenage stuff. Like obviously, you know, people have a, like there's, well, honestly, I feel weird unpacking all of it because it also goes into the discussion of porn and the issues of porn and things like that. So I feel like there's like too many layers to fully piece it apart properly. Yeah. Yeah. At least not not given the time span that we have. Basically, there's a lot of things at play, especially trying to unpack the uh, body <laughs> modification of porn of people in porn. Our last episode was about three hours long. I don't want to talk about this episode for three hours. <laughs> I don't feel passionate. I don't have it in me. Um, anyway, so they're like kind of talking about the actors and actresses in it. Um, and as they are doing that, Spinner starts choking. And in the most... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> in this fucking... Just taking a hard stance against choking. <laughs> Show your fucking food, you homophobe! Homophobes <laughs> <laughs> aren't allowed to choke. Chew your food, idiot. <laughs> your, your, your brain can't focus on chewing because it's too full of hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, dumbass. <laughs> Chew your food. This has been a PSA. <laughs> So he starts choking, and Marco, 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 who has no need to be nice to Spinner, Marco, who could have looked him dead in the eye and go, die already, had every right to, and I would never blame the kid, goes, oh, I know how to do the Heimlich, I took first aid classes, (laughs) and proceeds to go towards Spinner, who then runs around, still choking, trying to avoid his embrace. Could you imagine being so dedicated to the cause that you were willing to choke to death on some food in front of your friends because you don't want to get the Heimlich on you by a game boy? At the very least, you gotta admire his tenacity. I just, I, I'm just like, like, Jazz, you just like opened up like an amazing like tableau of like all the racist homophobic characters I've seen in movies, and they just like the people from like Black Klansman just like rising on the ground like I win, <laughs> just dying. Like, what is your level of like? oppression with this person that you don't want to interact with would you rather choke to death and be heimlich by them like you gotta there's gotta be a scale and maybe this is our measurement that we found yeah it's like the pyramid of hate there's like an alternative version which is like the pyramid of tolerance and like it's like almost dying maybe that's like at the top it's like maybe that's where you begin to be tolerant <laughs> Oh, God. 
sorry. We were we were watching. I know this is going to be a complete tangent, but we were watching the Oscars on Sunday. Oh, unfortunate. Yeah, I'm like, like you don't love yourself if you're doing that. No, <laughs> but we were watching uh, Rami Malek's um, acceptance speech, Oof. and like all three of us, all, like everybody in the room, when he got to like the story of a gay man, always went, "He's by <laughs> the exact same time. I'm just watching it. I said out loud, like I can just feel the waves of anger from Donnie, like coming into this room watching this speech. I got, tw- I didn't actually read the speech, but I got the Twitter updates, and as soon as I did, I was like, because I, I was. I was coming back from uh, from uh, visiting friend of the show Trinian from Florida, um, and I turned so I was on the plane during most of the simulcast. So I finally like get off the plane. I get some Wi-Fi. I check my phone and I fucking find that out. And I was just like, <laughs> like about to throw my phone. Just be like, well, the only good thing. Is that Olivia Coleman? Like the good things that I did like Olivia Coleman won for the favorite, and Spider Man Into the Spider Verse won best animated. Literally, like the only justice served that night yeah. was Into the Spider Verse being validated. And Spike- oh yeah, Spike, Spike Lee. Lee is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like. Oh man, Black Lightsman's such a good movie. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Like I feel like all of these things were offset by like Green Book winning. Bohemian Rhapsody getting any acknowledgement whatsoever. Uh. (sighs) Anyway, I just wanted to quick interject that. I'm also dating this episode, but whatever. Um. I think people know by now we have a cue. Like, (laughs) I I, I don't think that's revolutionary (laughs) to anybody. Um, So... Spinner doesn't die. Yeah, yeah, like, Marco finally just, like, grabs him and, and does it, and, like, a glob of cheese kind of falls across the carpet. And Jimmy, who who was pretty much willing to let Spinner die, like, he was not intervening. <laughs> Of it. There's like there was literally like an angel and devil on his shoulder, and the <laughs> and the devil was like, you could just fucking let him die, and the angel's like, that wouldn't be a waste. <laughs> Look, aren't you supposed to be like against him? Look, I have told you to be so tired of so much bullshit. Just, just let him go softly into the night. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he just kind of like comes. He like appears behind <laughs> now, him. Now I'm also imagining Marco and uh, Marco's angel of demons. Like the angel's like, it's it's the right thing to do. We have to help him. The devil, like, yes, then we'll owe him. Don't think that way. Fine, we don't have to think that way. We'll just save him. It's the right thing to do. Blah blah blah. You're annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. The idea of having having him owe you is such, like, an Italian idea. Like, I feel like that is what the devil... The devil on an Italian shoulder is always like, if you do the right thing, then they'll fucking owe you shit. <laughs> but then the devil's like, but like, but then you also hit him in the nuts. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, but um, Jimmy just kind of looks down at the mess. He's like, oh, um, so those carpets are new. <laughs> Jimmy, the absolute hero. (laughs) 
I legitimately believe he would have let Spinner die. Like, that's all I can think of. That's all I can... That's, at this point, like, his, like, cool apathy toward the scenario was, like, would it really be that much of a loss? I mean, Kendra would probably be bummed, but ultimately, like, she'd get over it, right? Oh, man. She's gonna get... Jimmy radiating that then perish energy. But that's, I think, like, I feel like that's the only way to sum up his relationship with Spinner at this point. (laughs) God, this is just like firing all my synapses. It's just like Jimmy going up to Paige and be like, I watched Spinner die. I could have done something and I did nothing. And Paige goes, <laughs> and goes, Are you free Friday night? I, I, I would have Paige find love somewhere else. Yeah, Jimmy. but I don't think Paige can pass up a free meal from a boy. That's cute. Yeah, fair enough. That's my hot take. Anyway, um, so the next scene we have, Jimmy is grabbing sleeping bags and Spinner is just like, please, dude, let me share your bed. Like, please. Like, I would, like, begging to not sleep in the same room as Marco. Um, and, and Spinner then, like, proceeds to say, like, you know, like, Marco is, like, leaves, he goes to go brush his teeth and stuff, and Spinner is just like, you know, dude, like, he only did the Heimlich on me to, like, cop a feel. Which, how fragile are you? Yeah, he's in, he's in fucking, fuck. And Jimmy's just like, no, like, you were dying. Like, how fragile are you, my dude? Um, and then Marco enters and when he's entering he's kind of throwing on his sleep shirt and spinner is kind of looking at him and they and then they make eye contact and marco kind of glares at spinner who because you know he heard that oh yeah for sure like that apartment is not that big yeah and like 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 it's just like one of those things where it's like it's just very insulting to be fucking to save someone's life and be be told like oh you were trying to grope me like it's it's just it marco was too good for for this world i would even venture to say maybe for for <laughs> to be a boy on degrassi like he does not deserve to be treated this way he deserves so much more he does 100% he does um let's hope that he was like texting dylan and being like you have no fucking idea what i'm dealing with tonight (laughs) but anyway so the next scene we have they're asleep or trying to sleep marco kind of adjusts on the couch and then his arm drapes down spinner then reaches up and kind of begins stroking his arm in sleepiness um but when spinner opens up his eyes he realizes that it's marco's arm freaks out and claims that it's a whole conspiracy and that the heimlich maneuver thing was a quote cheap feel god damn it (laughs) like i said it's just this also once again it just feels very like dated not to say that i have not accidentally touched somebody weirdly not weirdly that makes it sound like it was really like gross or anything but like not that i like accidentally brushed my hand against somebody when i was like at a sleepover or anything like that like Sure, that has happened, but, like, the way that they... You can tell you're supposed to laugh. It, it's very, like, season one casual homophobia to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ho-ho. And it doesn't help 
that we've been spending, as long as Marco has been on the show, we've been spending a lot of time, the show telling us and drawing attention to how feminine Marco is. So the fact that Spinner is like touching his arm and perceiving it as a feminine arm is also this very uncomfortable reiteration of that theme. And, and it can, like it kinda, I don't know. As a kid, I wasn't opposed to, and I'm going to admit this was a shitty idea before I even say anything, but I feel like I really took the idea that like Spinner is acting homophobic because he might have feelings for Marco and like farted around with that idea in fan work. As an adult, I know that's terrible and I know that that's bullshit, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the writers kind of didn't mind you reading it in that way. Right. It's just like, I, I, it's this constant thing where people need to like, or shitty writers feel the need to like, we're going to explain away this character's hate so you don't hate them as much. Yeah. And it's like, no, some people are just shitty. Yeah. Like Spinner is just shitty. Yeah. Like that is all there is to it. How Spinner is behaving toward Marco is just shitty. And there's no need to have like a lighthearted moment like that, or at least frame it like it's lighthearted. Um, because it just is, uh, and not to say that everyone's going to read that as such, but like, that's how I read it as a kid. Like I read it as what if Spinner was just actually super homophobic because like, you know, he's a little crush. And I know other teenagers can easily read it as such. I'm glad that I know now as an adult, like that's bullshit. Spinner's yeah. just a piece of yeah. shit right now, but I don't know. Yeah, like, but the thing is, like, we also know nothing about, it's like, it's so confusing with this, the Mason family, because the Mason family is, like, a multicultural family, like, that mm. adopted Kendra. Yeah. And that's cool, but then we're also going to, like, throw in that, like, Spinner is homophobic and just like you don't learn like you don't just that doesn't just happen you learn it from somewhere like i my father taught me to be tolerant so i'm tolerant like that's how it's it goes and i'm just like is show me a scene where spinner's dad says something or does something but it's like no we're just it's just it's confusing to me <laughs> like like how the uh, it's weird because I think that a lot of it, I don't know, I think that there is that contradiction of sorts that kind of develops with Spinner. Because Spinner is also fairly supportive of, like, women's rights. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you know, not great, but, like, you know, not horribly so. In, in I would argue that a lot of the time he's very much in the middle of things, but it's usually from a place of, like, he just doesn't know much. But, like, he has a very hard stance with the context of, of homophobia. And I, I do kind of wish that we saw more of his family. Because, like, we have not seen any of his family outside of Kendra. Like, ever. Yeah. We've, we've had him give anecdotes about, like, his mom and things like that. But we don't really know what the parents are like. And, and it's very possible that a lot of this could ultimately be hand-waved in the sense of, like, I don't know. I wish that he was framed more as a kid who maybe came from an ignorant background but is learning to do better, probably because of dating Paige and things like that and, like, being friends with Hazel and being friends with Jimmy and being friends with, like, people who are not 
going to perpetrate that type of stuff because let's be real just because you have adopted a kid who isn't white doesn't mean that you're not racist doesn't mean that you're not like a shitty person 100 percent, yeah yeah like that happens in a lot of transracial adoptions like a lot of shitty things get perpetrated in those adoptions because of white parents yeah um so like i wish it was a little more concrete of a setup because like i feel like it would be interesting to also see that in contrast to Kendra, who is being raised in the same environment, but seems to be pretty okay when it comes to pretty much anything. Like, yeah. willing to beat the shit out of people who have, like, you know, crossed the line with her and things like that. It would be interesting to see how, like, you know, what can happen. Because that, that's what happened with me as a kid. Like, I became, and I was always kind of more radical, and my brother was super conservative and very reflective of my parents. And, like, it is an interesting thing to kind of explore, like, what happens when you're in a household that isn't really great with a lot of social justice, and yet, like, you know, you can slowly learn how to do better outside of it. But, like, this this hardline homophobia is inexcusable. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like, but you mentioned the page thing, and even, like, that especially doesn't make sense to me, because you're telling me opinionated, extrovert page who... Went up to Ashley's like, I heard your dad is gay. Yeah. Wouldn't tear him down, like, constantly if he's, like, started that shit around Dylan. But I think that the thing with Paige is that while I I agree and I would love to see Paige eviscerate him properly, like, she, <laughs> she has called him out to a certain extent but not truly torn him apart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, But I also feel like, and we talked about this before, like, Teenage girls, even with very strong convictions, are going to date shitty boys. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it sucks. But I've, even like today, I dealt with an issue of that where like a boy was being really fucking shitty to a girl. And even though she was like uncomfortable and she was telling, you know, reporting what had happened, she was still desperate to like undermine it and downplay it simultaneously. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I've seen, I've said this before on the podcast, like, I've seen some of the most brilliant girls you'll ever meet, some of the most, the strongest writers, the strongest political theorist for, you know, for, for a 16-year-old, but still, like, you know, know a lot about social justice, know a lot about great things, date the shittiest boys in the whole fucking grade. I guess I'm just living in, like, I just have the eyes of the idealist. Yeah, I mean, I, and the thing is, is, like, you know, I think also, like, Paige for... Paige is a highly faulted girl, number one. But mm -hmm. number two, like, she's a very young girl. And she's going to... She doesn't have that life experience yet to to be able to pick out the duds. And <laughs> even if she could... You know, even though she's this Queen Bee character, at the end of the day, Spinner treats her very well. <laughs> And she's going to make compromises where maybe she wouldn't five years from now, ten years from now. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sad. No, you're good. That was good. Yeah. Thanks, Grim. I know. <laughs> but, um... Then we, yeah. then we enter the part I most liked in this episode. <laughs> where Marco is just like, are you fucking serious? Like, you are so <laughs> self-involved. You think I am attracted to you, you, whose hair fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> is this the part where he makes fun of his hairstyle? I don't remember. Yes, 
Yeah, he just rips into him and, like, calls his hair out from being, like, what, too outdated, telling yeah. him that his shoes never match his outfit, and it's just, oh, it's so cathartic. Oh, and then he just, like, straight up, like, you're not even cute. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, like, I, I really wanted Marco to borrow something from, uh, like, just start laughing and then pull a bender, be like, oh, you were serious. Let me laugh even harder. Yeah, right? Like, it's just like, are you, like, it's just, it, it kind of draws attention to that issue of this flavor of homophobia, which is like, you are so self-important as a man. Because this homophobia only really comes really from cis dudes a lot of the time. Yeah. Where it's like, you think you are, like, the, the fucking, like, you think you are the be-all, end-all of masculinity. <laughs> that you think that every gay man's gonna look at you and go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, no. Um, so Marco, like, advocating for himself in a way that tears Spinner down a couple pegs is very, it is very cathartic. Like, and the thing is, like, Marco is an incredibly nice kid. Like, we don't, see him really lash out all that much like he internalizes a lot of the time his suffering and kind of brings it close and plays it close to the chest and you know ruminates on it so the fact that we see him just kind of snap at somebody is also very cathartic in that sense because it's like there's aspects of marco that just feel incredibly real because especially like in how he processes things and how that in how him being closeted partially closeted dealing with his sexuality coming to terms with it impacts how he interacts interpersonally with people and you see that in how he kind of deals with conflict but to see him just kind of lash out like this you're like oh yeah okay <laughs> like this is a shot of confidence that we are we're seeing from him i mean it's the thing yeah. it's the thing with quiet people like <laughs> you like them a whole lot then you piss them off and it is the scariest thing ever yeah my dad yelled at us when he was angry. My mom didn't. Guess which one I was more scared of. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When she started counting, she never got three. And my mom's like, what did you think I was going to do? I was like, I don't know. That's what the terrifying part was. My dad was just more yelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Marco also, after saying, like, you're not even cute, he just kind of goes, like, oh, like, I'm going to sleep in the bathtub tonight, which is awful. Yeah, I know he's a small little bean, but that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Jimmy should have popped out of the bedroom and was like, yo, I heard what you guys are talking about. Spinner, you go in the tub. Right? Like, he must be a deep fucking sleeper. Also, like, how, how, how small is his bedroom that, like, he couldn't, like... Also, how self-important are you that you're going to sleep in your own damn bed at a sleepover? You jerk. Right, like, Jimmy... <laughs> Jimmy's like, at least I'm getting a comfortable last night of sleep tonight. I don't care what goes on out here. I'm good. F fucking the, um, what the fuck's his name? The the gray-haired kid from the Andres Evangelion. Oh, Kauru? Kauru. Even he was just, when they had their sleepover, even he was like, I think I should be sleeping on the floor. And he's a goddamn alien. <laughs> Yeah, no, Jimmy does not give a fuck. He's a destroyer of worlds. And also, there are two bedrooms in this apartment. Because there's a parents' room that's apparently never used. Yeah, right? Like, they're never home, so somebody can take it. <laughs> but, yeah, no, like, it, it, so that's how that fight ends. Um, And the last, is this, yeah, this is the last scene of this plot. Marco is, like, going toward his locker, and Spinner's there. Um... Spinner thanks him for the help with the test, and 
And Marco is just like, you're not hot. And Spinner directly goes, let's agree to disagree. And then goes, let's agree you have bad taste. <laughs> not the worst ending, but... Ugh. Yeah, yeah. About it, as good as we were gonna get, I think. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's it's hard because it's like... You know... Spinner's still shitty, but also you can't expect that to get resolved in, like, 10 minutes of a 22-minute episode, if that. Like, you just can't expect that to be undone. The only thing that gives me some comfort in this is that this season is beginning to integrate a more serialized storytelling aspect. So we are kind of seeing, if we look at it and compare it to, like, Pride, you can kind of see... A little bit of growth in the sense that, like, you know, he's not just writing Marco is an F-slur on a bathroom. Like, you know, he's not as violent, even if it's still this casual that's still really bad and also shitty. So, it could be worse. Yeah. That's generous, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's very generous, but like it's it's at least you can take comfort in the serialized nature of the season right now that hopefully this is another issue that will be addressed again and hopefully there will be some progress made when it is. Yeah. All right, so now let's move on to our A plot B plot kind of hybrid thing. So basically we're going to talk about the Emma plot uh, but we're also going to talk about that thing, the plot of sorts with Manny as well. So um, we're just going to cram them together. Um, we open up the episode and this plot with Emma and Sean kind of awkwardly bumping into each other as they're making their way toward their English class seats. Um, and Quan has decided that there is another freaking Shakespeare play they haven't done yet, which is Julius Caesar. Of course. Because... I swear to God, she's not read anything outside of Shakespeare. Shakespeare's the most important writer of any generation ever, clearly. I mean, I don't argue he has merit, but, like, Jesus, fuck. Like, there are different things that are public domain. <laughs> There's only Shakespeare. <laughs> um, it's just... It's it's just like when, like, other, like, I think the show has done it and other shows have done it where, like, characters are watching a black and white movie. Yeah. And it's just, like, you really couldn't just throw, like, just not show the screen and just have them, like, watch, listening to noises. But then the noises are just the public domain cowboy noises. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... So, Quan is talking about Julius Caesar, and then she gives these really weird general questions that, like, really don't make any fucking sense. Like, there's no indication that they've finished up the play, and yet she's like, so what are the themes? Are they relevant? And it's like, lady, that's like a fucking research paper. Like, yeah. like you're just gonna ask, like, like that is like teaching, teaching tip, like, number, I would say three, probably, which is don't ask questions that are super fucking broad, because they're gonna be like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know. Like, I've read it and I don't know. Like, <laughs> but, like, she's like, yeah. So she crams two different questions, which are, what are the themes and how are they relevant? Which are two entirely different questions, really. Um, and, you, you know, she kind of calls on Sean, and Sean doesn't see the significance. He's like, whatever. I'm a bad boy now. <laughs> I think his, his, like, 
the closest approximation I get to his exact line is this guy is like lived a thousand years ago. Like he doesn't know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining him flipping the cover. There's like a portrait of Shakespeare. He's just like, you don't know me. <laughs> what do you know, old man? <laughs> There's like a poster in the other corner of the room. <laughs> But and like Emma is like just kind of rolling her eye, like glaring at him, and like super like, like oh you're so uneducated. I can't believe I ever liked you. <laughs> um, and then fucking... okay. So we like I, I feel like this is a pretty universal thing of like when you get out of a relationship, certain things are kind of ruined for you because oh, they yeah, remind yeah, you of yeah. that person. Yeah. It, yeah. Is vegetarianism ruined for Emma now? Oh, God. That's a real moral conflict, ain't it? <laughs> I feel like not. I feel like she cares too much about the environment before. Well, here's the thing. She was into that and cared about vegetarianism before she met Sean. So I would say that most likely would not be impacted. I think anything that, that I think a lot of the time with that type of shit, it's only ruined if you were introduced to it or got more invested into it because of your partner yeah i'll agree like i feel like if like with her like she already cared about the environment she cared about vegetarianism sean was in it yeah that sucked but you know it it you know she can move on from that i think another big thing about it is i think also what happens is, is not only are things tainted for you after a relationship i think also you become very um critical of the partner and like all the things that you were able to look past or maybe didn't even notice i wouldn't even say look past like didn't even notice you you or now even things irritated. that were like endearing yeah like they're so irritating now yeah so in her case it's his like dismissal toward toward school and like that kind of bad boy persona which is obviously being laid on very thick now like way more than it was before he befriended jay um, but, like, you know, it's just very irritating to her to see someone, like, how dare she had, like, feelings towards somebody who didn't give a shit about Shakespeare. Yeah. And as I imagine, weirdly, the one thing you ruined for her, My Chemical Romance. <laughs> oh. Um, That's a bummer. <laughs> so, um... Then she calls, uh, Quan calls on Chris. <laughs> now, <laughs> let me just explain really quickly why I'm laughing because our glimpse of this boy is his boater hat with sunglasses on it, and it's just it's just the most wild look. Like we were talking about, like things being super outdated earlier in this the see subplot like this is just the clearest glimpse of how outdated this fashion is with this poor boy's hat that he's somehow allowed to wear in class yeah yeah <laughs> i mean the thing about i feel like the only way and jazz i told you this via dm i feel like <laughs> chris's characterization and the way that he looks very much looks like if you asked like 13 14 year old donnie who lived in a town where there was like one black family and told me like okay baby donnie write a black character this is what i would have come up with and that is not a compliment that is not a fucking compliment it comes it just 
Chris, like, I mean, we saw some, some stuff, some, like, you know, not great stuff beforehand, but this episode really showcases how inept, truly inept these writers can be at writing a black character. Yeah, yeah. If you really want, like, a, a clear glimpse at what we're talking about, like, just go look at Chris, I think his last name is Sharp, S-H-A-R-P-E. Yeah. Just go look at his wiki page and look at the picture that they picked for him. He's in, like, an all-denim suit mm-hmm. and in, like, the most weird, almost wannabe b-boy stance, and it's just, it's awkward. Yeah, like, he just looks very, like, there's this, and we'll probably talk about this more as we continue, like, he just looks awkward and kind of uncomfortable during a lot of it. Yeah. And it's, to be fair, his material is not, like, great at all. It's not good. No. It's just, like, there's this in like if you need like i feel like i feel like this is kind of like the the chris because like i think that that the way i don't think the way that they handled jimmy as a black character is great either yeah but at least he has a personality and like he he has finally three seasons in he has moments that he's like a good guy and you know pushing against the negative stereotypes that have been perceived of black boys and things like that um even though still not doing great in other departments chris has this there's like almost like i i i hesitate to say regressive nature to him because i feel like that would suggest that jimmy is a progressive take on a black character but somehow chris is infinitely worse it's like you thought you like it's like it's like me jumping back to like an early season episode like season one episode of this podcast and it's like hey donnie you think this is bad <laughs> fucking wait wait for it you you appear like the flash from batman v superman yeah. it's gonna get worse it's so much harder to make it through now yeah no like that's that's because the thing about chris is like so he raises his hand and he's like, I loved it. I love Julius Caesar. Um, it talks about, like, betrayal and all that type of stuff. And then he, like, dunks on Sean because he says, like, oh, well, at least I actually read the play. <laughs> I'm like Slim Shady over here. Which is a good diss because we have been calling him Slim Shawnee literally as long as he's changed <laughs> What a good dunk. <laughs> If I mean now that there's nothing I like more than, like, just sniping, um, just sniping, like, 7th and 8th graders taking themselves way too seriously, or high school students taking themselves way too seriously. Because <laughs> there's just, for some reason to me, there's just something about just, like, you put on, like, such a persona at that age, and yep. then when somebody just calls you out, I'm like, <laughs> It's just, oh my god. It was, it was probably the only good moment <laughs> in this fucking Yeah, plot. literally the only good moment that Chris gets in this episode. It's like, guess what? It's peaked. <laughs> I, I just like to think that Chris's actor and Marco's actor have a competition on who had to stand in the dumbest pose. Right. <laughs> but, um, 
uh, as as he's kind of making these observations, Emma is intrigued because Sean and you know now we have a bit of a a contrasting point. So Sean is ignorant and mean and doesn't give a shit about school. And we have this cool newer boy who cares about school, is interesting and insightful, and also doesn't isn't afraid to put Sean down. So, <laughs> so plus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's checking off boxes in her mental checklist, like makes fun of Sean. Check <laughs> everything else negligent. <laughs> yep. Um. So that scene kind of ends, and then we bounce into this other plot. Um, which is that Craig is sending Ashley off to Montreal with Ellie. Um, it sounds like it's just kind of like, which is, which this part is very sweet to me. It sounds like they're just hanging out in Montreal so Ellie can kind of like decompress for a little bit, which is very nice. Like it just kind of <laughs> seems like it's just like Ashley is just going to be there uh, and hang out with her and I guess just like, you know, make some positive, nice friend time happen, which is really good. And I wish we saw that instead of this plot. Like, why didn't yeah. we? Why didn't we just see Ashley and Ellie hanging out in Montreal and having fun? God damn it! That would have been so much more desirable than, than this, right? <laughs> so I mentioned before, like I didn't uh, ship Paige and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I do kind of ship Paige and Ellie. Paige and Ellie. And opposites attract kind of thing. I like that. Because I think that in, in, I think, I think there's that good piece of it where Ellie isn't afraid to butt heads with Paige, which means that they can grow. Yeah. In a relationship, which I like. They'd be good for each other, actually. Wow. I would, I would also argue that pretty much every ship featuring the girls together is infinitely better because I think that they, even if they, even when they fight, there's this level of respect between them that they usually get to some sort of consensus by the end of the episode. That the boys never show any respect toward each other, but also their girlfriends. Yeah, well, it's just, yeah. it's just like um, that tweet I keep oh, that I'm always reminded of, where it's just like, I'll stop shipping, like uh, I'll stop making like same sex ships if you make a hetero ship that isn't toxic. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that a lot of, like, I think that a lot of the girls, if you put them in different combinations, would be really good ships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're, so Craig is sending her off <laughs> and has the nerve to be like, oh yeah, don't flirt with boys, BT dubs. I really don't like this veering that they're doing with Craig's character, because it's like, I don't know, it just feels weird. Wait, uh, Jazz, did you say you haven't watched any other episodes of uh, Degrassi since your last episode? Um, I haven't watched anything yet. I'm sorry? I said I haven't watched um, any since then, no. Okay, um, so quick little backstory. Um, well, Jazz, you've watched Degrassi before, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. So, so you know Craig's whole backstory of coming from an abusive father and, and things like that, right? I forget who's a neophyte and who's a veteran at this point. Yeah, Jazz is a vet. <laughs> okay, my apologies. No, you're fine. Um, so, uh, the minute that bus leaves, Manny just appears. Yeah, yeah, Manny just appears and 
it and like uh, like does like the whole like oh like, like a, I'm what? like a shark smelling blood. Yeah, she does. She's like oh like I miss you. Blah 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 blah. And he's like uh. And then um, she invites him to a rave. What the fuck? Once again, a little okay. Um, and then oh, okay, but. In my hometown, there was a nightclub that had a teen night. Oh, I hate those. Yeah, it was never good. Yeah. No, I've, I've never gone to one, but I've been invited to them, and, like, every single time I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. No, it just, it just always seemed bad news bears to me, huh? Yeah, right? But, um, so, so she gives him the invite, but then she's like, no strings, Kay. Like, you know, really clear that, like, you know, uh, okay, I guess this isn't going to work. Wink. Please come to this thing. Um, I don't know. Like I said, Craig's characterization is, is clearly going in a different direction. And I, like, it just makes me mad because it's like, what the fuck are you saying on your show when the only, like, good boy is your gay boy? You know what I mean? It's like, what are you saying about het boys? I, mean... I also have strong feelings about Manny's, like, entire characterization in, like, this section of her life. And yeah. I, I'll, I'll comment more on it later, but, yeah, it's just... Ugh, ugh. Yeah, I, I really forgot... So, like, I knew, like, I remembered you got the look. Like, I remember that episode and how that, how that functioned. I really didn't realize how she really try like, the, like, she's written in a way that's very, like, I guess what the writers would probably say, like, a sex kitten or something like that. Like, I for- Like, the weird spicy Latina. Like, it's, ugh. Yeah, like, she's, she's kind of being written in that way, and it's very- like, I don't remember it being that overt. And I don't know if it's just, like... And I, I think a thing that happens with, with when you're a veteran, your grasp on characters kind of blends into, like, a weird composite of, like, what they were like in every season they were on. Mm-hmm. And, like, my perception of Manny, looking back on it, was, like, I... I don't know if it was just me blocking it out or I just kind of thought about a different form of Manny, basically, but, like, I didn't realize how sexualized this entity of her was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely... And not even, like, a potentially positive way, just in, like, the... Sorry? Just, like, how sexualized he is. It's not even, like in any way shape or form that it could have been even positive like if she were owning her sexuality but not just being like purely sexualized and it's like almost predatory about it yeah yeah yeah. it's definitely like you said jazz kind of like because like she's not like she's filipino on the show right i'm gonna double check yeah but um Regardless, you can tell, like, I, I agree, like, it's kind of gives a similar air of that kind of, like, the spicy, like, or, like, exotic temptress type Yeah, deal. yeah. And, like, it could have, if it was done by, let's be real, if it was done by writers who weren't white, it could have become an interesting exploration of identity and, like, taking on roles. Because, like, it's I feel like with Manny, there's this aspect of it that's so half-assed where she's treated like shit by men. 
and mm-hmm. she's exotified ex- like they try to make her more exotic and make her like you know you had one you had Sully being like oh you should go by Manuela it's so much more exotic and things like that but like it's so ha- yeah yeah but like it's half ass simultaneously because you know at the end of you know at the end of you got the look she's she's in a shitty relationship with Sully she's dumped by Sully and where that may have become a revelation of sorts for for some characters to be like you know I'm getting this attention it's not necessarily great it seems like she's just bulldozing through and like now she's not only like has feelings for Craig which on their own I understand why but she's also going to continue to assert this very sexualized temptress image of herself and I just wish it was explored in a way that was more insightful and actually gave her more of like a reflective piece. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, you're right. Uh, she is Filipina. Okay. I was wrong. No, no, it's all good. But I think that it, it gives a similar air of that spicy Latina type. Archetype. Yeah, that was the feeling that I got, and that's why I immediately kind of, like, went for that sort of trope. No, I, I don't think that's a bad read, especially because, like, we, um, Jazz, I don't know if you remember Alex from the series. Yeah, yeah, I do remember Alex. We just, we just met her, like, two episodes ago, and I was, like, mm. I got really confused because I was like looking at her, I'm like, I really thought she was a Latinx character, but like the actress isn't isn't Latinx, and like I had to have like somebody on Twitter confirm with us, like, no, that's definitely just a character playing, like you know, a white girl playing a Latinx character, like you, yeah, because like I, my perception was like so, I was so confused for a little bit because as a kid I was like definitively like, oh yeah, Alex is definitely like Latinx, that's totally right, right. right? And then I was like, I was like Googling it and I was just like, did I make that up? Was that like my perception as a kid? But no, it was confirmed. No. It's definitely just a white girl oh, playing wow. that character. Yeah, thanks for, for blowing that wide open for me. Yeah. Okay. Oh, of course. For some reason, I was just like, oh, tell me she's like, um, tell me she's British. Because like, I've noticed this trend of British women playing Latinx characters. Like, um, fucking Professor Sprout plays the maid in Romeo plus Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um. Is this like a, is this like a Catherine Zeta-Jones type of situation? I, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Because she's white, right? But, like, she plays, like, Latinx characters constantly. Yeah. Like, I did not, to a point that I did not realize she was white growing up. Oh, that's so, God, that's, that says something, huh? Yeah, like, if you play that many fucking characters, like, because, like, she's in, like, Zorro and shit, and, like, a lot of other titles. I, I was, like, oh, she always plays these characters, so she must be. I was wrong. I was very wrong. And I felt, like, I remember that happened, like, it was, like, kind of, like, a moment on the internet a couple years ago where everyone was, like, oh, fuck, what? Yeah. And then Jeanette uh, Goldstein who played Vasquez in Aliens, but apparently she's American. <laughs> but I had that revelation with um, Ariana Grande. <laughs> I did too! Okay, I'm Italian, and I could not find, I could not sense that she was my kind. 
That is how, like, my my percept, like, that's how, if you need an indication of perhaps she is, maybe needs to tone down the fucking tanner, I legitimately right. did not realize she was Italian. But you know 100% either she decided that or, like, someone working on her team was like, no, let's play it up like you're, you're a Latina. And she just ran with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I legitimately, like, it, it, that's, like, embarrassing to me. Oh, my God. But, um, that is neither here nor there. Um, what a tangent. Sorry. Yeah, no, but I think it, it kind of dilutes to this this issue we're seeing in, in, in Degrassi, but also in other media, where race is handled in a way that the writers see it far more arbitrary than it should be. It's, it's not this, it's not portrayed in a way that the truth is, which is that race impacts interpersonal relationships, perceptions of self, and everything. Like, legitimately everything. 100%. And the writers, because, you know, I am going to guess, are predominantly, if not all white, assume that they don't have to think about it because of their whiteness. Unless it is to to uh, prove a point in the writing of Degrassi. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so Manny gives the invite. Um, then we go on to uh, Emma. She's at her locker. And she hears Chris beatboxing. <laughs> it's the most awkward scene ever, too. Just, like, Emma turning around and being interested in this boy who's just kind of, like, he's got, like, what, two or three people just kind of standing next to him in the hallway while he's just, like, beatboxing in this random space. And it's just, like, in the most ridiculous outfit. And it's just, like, how... It's like they looked at this character. It's like, how many stereotypes of black boys can we put on this one character? It's true, though. And it's like... And, like... I, I know, Jazz, we talked about this a little bit in DMs. But, like, it's hard to tell in the way that this whole entire thing is framed. In the way that Chris is characterized. It's so hard to read what Emma's intentions are. Yeah. Like, yeah. the way that she looks at him. On one hand, could just be read as, this is the boy that I made a sincere, like, you know, I liked what he said in English class and now he's on my radar. But there's also this aspect where you have this boy behaving in a way that's very, like, you know, this stereotype of what a black boy is and this white girl watching him that also has this insincerity kind of tacked onto it. That, like, it's like... You know, she's looking at him as something different from Sean, and you yeah, know, it, it's it's very othery that kind of that that seems her gaze on him. It's it's very othering, just like the new exotic flavor of the month that is just, uh, <laughs> just giving yeah. that that just that one scene. It's it's hard because I think also the way that she looks at him, it reads to me more as intrigued and less of kind of that fluttery feeling. Kind of like, so like when Marco sees Dylan or meets with Dylan, like, you know, he kind of has this flutteriness about him, like this, this excitement, this glee when he sees Dylan. And I feel like in the case of Emma looking at Chris, it's this intrigue. And, and to a certain extent, Emma is a very analytical person 
person when it comes to in like you know romantic feelings toward people to a certain extent but once again put in the context of race it doesn't matter what the intention of the writers were because it looks like she's looking at him like as you said jazz like the flavor of the month and i think it's just made worse by the fact that like if Chris were doing anything other than that weird, awkward beatboxing, yeah. I think it would have been better. It would have been more innocent looking and not like as, as like othering as it was. Like, I really can't think of a, a, a better term or a different term for it. It's just, it, it's very sort of reminiscent of like, um, I can't even pick out specific media, but just like the, the, trope of like white woman desiring black man because he is like different and not something she's experienced before like yeah. just very much so that kind of trope all over again absolutely um it's a julia styles movie not helping me i've only seen julia styles in like two things Cra- crazy slash beautiful okay don't know it uh, Kirsten Dunst and Good Good Boy Jay Hernandez. I never saw it. Okay, we watched it for Teen Girl Talk. <laughs> okay. But um, it's the whole thing of like I'm trying to get back at my dad. I'm gonna date Jay Hernandez. I was like, you should date Jay Hernandez because he's Jay Hernandez. I mean, yeah. I mean, but I think that kind of speaks to the issue that um we're seeing here because it's like. Like, yeah, like, he literally could have been doing anything else in that scene. Like, he could have been walking with his friends and talking. Like, and the thing is, is, like, okay, maybe they wanted to make some sort of connection to him being into music. Like, he easily could have just been talking about music with a friend. Like, and being, and he could have been just as insightful as he was in class. So, like, making really good observations about the lyrics or talking about how, like, you know, kind of some of the themes of the album or something like that. Something that would have reiterated that Emma, like, what Emma was attracted to him by in the classroom is consistent with what he's like outside of the classroom. Have him, have him talking about, like, still dunking on Sean, and also then saying Eminem, like, sucks on multiple levels. (laughs) Right. Why does this man hate women so much? (laughs) And Emma goes, take me, I'm yours. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, it's not what fucking happens. But yeah, he just like awkwardly beatboxing um, and they make eye contact during it. Um, yeah, he's like very stilted beatboxing too. It's like, yeah, I feel like stilted is the word to describe him in terms of his line delivery and stuff like that. It's like. I don't know. I get this vibe and maybe it's also just like overanalyzing the situation. It just kind of feels like he, 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 like, he feels like he like feels that this is a joke in terms of like where he's like kind of going through the motions because he thinks the character is bullshit. Honestly. Yeah. Like it, it, it just feels like the actor was just really uncomfortable with like everything that was going on. And I feel like it kind of shows in, in the delivery of his lines and, and, like, especially this weird beatboxing scene. Yeah, well, like, I looked him up, and apparently he's a dancer. Like, so he's somebody who has some degree of, like, rhythm and grace and, like, you yeah. know. It, 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 like, you would think that his body language, because of his background, would just not be like this. 
which I, which furthers my theory that he is just straight up uncomfortable. My my wondering is if he like pulled a fast one on the casting director, and they're like, well, what sets you apart? He's like, uh, I can beatbox. I'm like, oh, <laughs> hit us with it. And he's like, okay. Did the beatbox we see? And they're like, oh, that sounds great. And he's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah, gotta eat. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but um, the next scene we have, Emma's leaving class. Chris is like right behind her and Chris approaches her and she compliments him on his analysis in English class. Um, and, you know, they kind of have a brief little interaction and he walks off. Manny appears next to her and refs. Is that Gone with the Wind she references? What does I do declare I'm in love with you? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's Gone with the Wind. That's fucked up to reference when, you know, it's a white woman, when it's a white girl who's into a black boy. Yep. That's mm. really ugly. That's really ugly. Holy shit. This is, like, getting worse and worse the more we talk about it. The more we analyze it. Oh, boy. Oh, that's horrible. Um, so she does that. Um, um, and then, you know, she, Manny also passes an invite to the rave, specifically saying that, you know, Chris's cousin is a DJ and he's going to be performing there. Um, he like, and then also suggests that, you know, Chris sometimes does sets, like he usually invites him up and everything. So like, if you go, you can see Chris being a DJ. Along with his friend, DJ Tanner. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just grasping the straws at this point. I know. Uh. Um, so Emma... Emma... Wait, is, 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 the, is this... Next scene is them getting ready for the rave. Okay, but I feel like this is the point of the line that I wanted to text you. Oh, where, like... where Emma claims she's from Planet White Dork. Oh. Like, that's where I knew every intention that I could, per like, every, like, that's where I threw out the benefit of the doubt. That's where, like, that's when I disposed of it. And that's when I went, oh, these writers are just pieces of shit. Like, that's when you knew that, like, all the weird feelings you had during the beginning of the episode were entirely validated. Because these writers are that fucking inept. Yeah. There's, yep. a, there's always that point in media like this where you're just like, do you know? And then, like, you see something like, they know. They know what they're doing. Yeah, it just, like, like, ugh, take your pick of, like, what is so fucking infuriating about this. But, you know, you're watching Emma, this tall, blonde, fair kid trying to figure out what to wear and her concern is that, you know, she's just, she's a white dork. <laughs> oh, boy. Um. Also, wait. Do we have another scene with Manny and Craig or is it just the two we've had so far? Uh, we've had only the two so far. Because I was just thinking to myself, like... Craig basically is just like, nothing really ha happened. We only hooked up the once. 
I remember thinking to myself, like, Craig, I'm trying my best to be understanding. Right. Right. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there comes a time where you have to. You don't just say, oh, it was nothing about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, hello. Um, but. <sighs> But yeah, so Emma's fretting about her outfit, um, and, you know, she comes out, and she has, like, a very tight kind of blue tank top with, like, kind of a low neckline, and Manny's like, oh yeah, Chris will love it, um, even though Emma's very uncomfortable, um, and Manny says that, like, you know, Emma just has to do whatever it takes to, to get what she wants when it comes to Chris, and it's interesting because I feel like there should have, I wanted Manny to kind of snap at Emma in the sense that, like, Emma was coming down so hard on how Manny was dressing, and now, like, she is also potentially doing that, and I kind of almost wanted Manny to, like, say a snide remark about it, because, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I feel like there, it was potential there, um, mm -hmm. Like, I just feel like, especially because, like, their friendship, even though they're on speaking terms right now, even though they're hanging out, you can sense there is tension there. Like, things have not truly been smoothed over, even if the, you know, Emma's obviously going through a lot of difficult stuff right now, and Manny's there to support her. That doesn't necessarily mean they've they've smoothed away all of the issues that they've had, um, which I yeah. feel like is encapsulated in the later part of this episode. Where, um, so... Manny, you know, is kind of trying to reiterate to Emma, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta go out of your comfort zone to get what you want. In this case, it's getting Chris. Which isn't bad advice, but then Manny's just like, no, you have to go to, like, number 12 to get there. Yeah, like, that's the thing, it's like, but, all, like, it's one of those things where it's like, like, Manny is not the person that Emma should be seeking this type of advice with. Because it's obvious that Manny is struggling with this and clearly not doing a great job right now. Where's Paige? I know. Paige, I know, right? Like, Paige, where are you? Um, too busy trying to pick up the sore excuse of a boyfriend. Um... <laughs> hey, babe, I nearly had a... I, I nearly died tonight. Oh, oh my God, honey, what happened? And, like... I was, like, I was choking on some cheese with, how do you do that? <laughs> and then Marco popped a feel. <laughs> oh, do you mean he gave you the Heimlich? Is that what they call it? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. And, then, and then you just, hit, like, Paige just drops the phone. She's like, okay, that's enough spinner for tonight. Lawyer, click. <laughs> yeah, right. Please. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, they, you know, Emma... I, I love you. I feel very strongly towards you as well. <laughs> um, so they decide that they are going, so, um, they decide they're going to go to the rave, um, and Emma starts making a beeline toward one of the basement windows, and she's just like, I'm not going upstairs looking like this, and so... I think it would be better to go out this way than try to explain the bootylicious makeover to my mom. Uh, yep. Let's just leave that one where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and it's... Oh man, I hope I have another extra life, because I'm dying again. Uh, but yeah, so she goes through the window, and Manny follows her. This is the fucking Super Mario Maker of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this was made by some kind of sadist. I know, right? 
So, so the next scene is at the rave. It's exactly what you'd expect a teen drama to portray a rave. It's like in like a very tight space. There is like very plain walls. There are flashing lights. People are dressed in a way that's peculiar, but not raunchy enough because it's still a teen show. Where the fuck are my cat in the hat hats? Yeah, where are the cat in the hat hats? Where are like entire outfits comprised of like those of like candy necklaces, like oh my god <laughs> what the fuck where's the person trying to keep their friend on e desperately hydrated right well like the thing is, is uh, like like for it being a rave it's incredibly like everyone's just kind of dancing and it looks pretty okay um which i get to a certain extent i think it is supposed to harken back kind of to um those teen parties that you talked about frank where it's like the club on like i don't know thursday night it's like youth only like <laughs> under 20 allowed it, it's definitely that kind of vibe um and as um and then as they're going through it manny's giving emma advice on how to talk to chris specifically saying like talking about the environment is not sexy do not bother <laughs> which like excuse me uh manny have you seen my swimsuit calendar mama onu edition <laughs> Good. It's not even Mama Onu in like a turtle size, in a tortoise size swimsuit. It's just a bunch, a pile of swimsuits on her back. Good. <laughs> Excellent. That's what she deserves. Um, but yeah, so like she's like, you can't talk about the environment. It's not sexy. And Emma kind of slowly approaches Chris, who is at like the DJ booth area. He's not, like his cousin is currently working, doing his set. Um, but Chris is kind of standing toward the side. Um, meanwhile, at Joey's, see, this is the thing that I hate about, like, these, the way, these plots oscillate dramatically in terms of, like, point of view, which is really weird, like, because it's, like, that now we're with Craig, because we're at Joey and Sydney's, they're kind of falling asleep with the TV on, and Craig is, like, outwardly squirming, like... uncomfortable boy ever yeah like he's just like jumping out of his skin and joey is just kind of like why are you home on a friday night like what the fuck um <laughs> and craig's just like i'm gonna go to jimmy's i'm going to jimmy's and like just kind of like leaves and as he leaves joey kind of grins and then he like leans in to smooch um sydney he's like we have the house to ourselves to which i go where's angie <laughs> <laughs> She's going to grandma's! That's the only explanation I can come up with. Oh, uh, still my favorite moment of the show. I know, but like, he's just like, hey, hey, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, fuck. Okay, buddy. Like, come hey, on. You, you remember what you were saying before um, about how, what is this show trying to say when the only good boy is gay? And, like, what does it say about cis head boys? Guess what? Most of us are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Frank says. That's true. If Frank says it, then it has to be true. <laughs> Sailor Frank says. Yeah, like, our, our resident cis head man. Here to, here to keep, keep you know, give us that perspective, because I don't fucking he get it. He said it. Yeah, he so said it. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to defend my tr- whatever. I'm here to call them out. Thank you. Um, <laughs> they came out to have such a good time, and I'm here to attack. Please, please <laughs> attack them, because Craig is out to try and have this good time. Um, and meanwhile, we're back at the rave. Chris is super surprised to see Emma. Um, the cousin um, invites 
Chris to start his own set and send and like, you know, Emma is able to kind of get invited to go up toward the booth area. Chris introduces himself as Sea Dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so sorry. I have nothing. I just dropped that because I literally had nothing to add. So I ha- like we said Chris was composed mainly of stereotypes. I feel like they reached into the stereotype bucket and took like three for uh three for Jimmy. And then they're just like, well fuck it, we'll just dump the rest out and make like and make Chris. Yeah, basically they kinda like sort of had a, a whiteboard of stereotypes that they knew about black boys and they were like, good at basketball. Uh, let's let's give this one to Jimmy. Uh music. Music and, and really into DJing. Uh give that one to Chris. Weird fashion. Uh, yeah, let's give that one to Chris too. It's just, just them like divvying up all of these stereotypes that they know about black boys between Jimmy and Chris in the worst ways possible. And let's then take the two or three dangerous ones and then we'll put make them into a character and add it to Jay's gang. Oh yeah, Towers. Towers. I don't know if you even remember Towers, Jazz, but like we we met <sighs> He's like one of he's one of Jay's lackeys and like just that was inexcusable. I mean all of these are inexcusable, but like there's something Towers really got under my skin in how he was if portrayed. I encountered Towers, I must have blocked him out. I didn't uh, remember him at all, but I think it's like it's one of those things where he's a non factor really. But as in like he's not like a character. Like that's how bad Towers is. Towers is literally not a character. He's just brute force. Oh, he's got a Z in his name. Yeah. He's just he's <laughs> dumb and he has brute he's brute force. It's he he barely oh. speaks full sentences. It's He's he's it's he's a lackey. It's yeah. so gross. It's it's the first episode he appears in is called Gangsta Gangsta. Oh, oh no. yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gangs- Gangsta Gangsta was a time. Uh, like, I know I didn't use the... Getting out the park with these Degrassi, huh? It was... Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Um, it's just so... It's like, at this point, for all intents and purposes, like, Degrassi has struck out when portraying black boys, right? Because it's like, Jimmy, the, the shit that they pull with Jimmy is bullshit. Towers is inexcusably horrible. And then you have Chris, which is just like, it, it, they're like different forms of bad portrayals. Like, if you, as a writer, want to know how to not write black boys, these are all examples in different ways. Where it's like, Jimmy... The kid who's technically a protagonist but never gets to do the right thing. And then you have Towers, who literally is not a character. Just muscle. Just dumb muscle. And then you have Chris, who is just a caricature. Like, they're all different ways to fuck it up really badly. Yeah. Literally the only decent thing about Chris is that he got to say something smart about Shakespeare and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was his one moment to be anything. Like, and even then, it was, like, really weak. Like Yeah. Like, most of the, the reason why it's it's worth talking about is because he said something mean to Sean. Yeah. But, um, then we kind of have a quick shot of Manny and then Craig, who has entered the rave. 
Um, and then as this is all happening, Emma steps on the power source um, and accidentally turns off the DJ booth and then hastily kind of turns it back on. Chris doesn't seem offended, though. He actually thinks it's quite funny that she did that. Um, ha ha, my cousin depends on this for financial stability. Ha <laughs> ha. Thanks for fucking it up, potentially, Emma. Um, but, like, you know, he thinks it's really funny, and he kind of, look. he kind of, you know, gets kind of close to her. I think he puts his hand on her shoulder or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And as he is doing that we are introduced to another stereotype of black portrayal the mad black girlfriend <laughs> who had the worst name melanda yeah like her name could not register to me like i looked at it in the ending credits because i could not like i could not make sense of it it does like it just it was just like <sighs> like i would say the writers <laughs> I would say the writers weren't even trying, but they were trying. I, I would argue that there are aspects of this episode that are just straight up malicious toward the perception of, like, black people. Yeah, 100%. Like, I feel like sometimes there are episodes that we analyze that it's like, well, they probably are fucking ignorant and they're not thinking about the deeper implications of this. There's something about this whole entire episode that feels maliciously racist. Yeah. Um... Especially because I was just thinking about this, especially considering, okay, you know what, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he takes his hand off of her shoulder, like, they, those two, like, head off into a corner, have a fight. Like, they're literally having a fight at the DJ booth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Manny comes sidling back up, summoned by the presence of, like... Conflict. Yeah, and she's just like, that relationship's weak. Yeah, and, like, she's basically, like, you know, if you really want to get him, this is his weak spot. Like, yeah, okay, like, you, like you now what you can do is when he's done with the fight, you can ask to console him and then kind of, you know, zoom in to the weak spot. And she, she straight up says, like, yeah, it's evil, but it works. Like, which, once again, like, there, this thing about Manny's characterization, like how she kind of is allowing herself to be a villain is something that's potentially interesting, right? It's interesting when a kid... It's interesting to see characters who actively know they are doing the wrong thing if you actually get insight as to why they're doing the wrong thing. And I just don't think getting boys' attention is enough of a reason for her to truly... to For me to just accept it. You know what I mean? Like, I want... Yeah. If she's gonna do this, it has to be more reflective. And also in, like, juxtaposition of, like, her being, like, one of a few prominent, like, women of color in mm -hmm. the cast, and she is the one who's acting like this. Exactly. And it's, it, it, especially when you contrast her with Emma, and it's just wild to me that they looked at that relationship looked at how they were building these characters up and didn't see anything wrong with that yeah well i do want to like jazz you hit on something that this is the thing i was gonna wait to talk mm. about but i feel like it's the best opening for it we have two characters of color in this um in this uh in this episode both willing to commit infidelity. Yep. Yes! 
Yep. Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed too. Yep. And you have the only two characters with quote unquote conscious be the white characters. You're like, um, well, maybe we shouldn't. And yep. It's just the wildest thing. Like, especially, especially considering that you had two characters specifically point out the fact that they were white in this episode. Yeah. And then you go and turn the two POC in these relationships into the bad people. It's just. Oof. Yep, Oofa and doofa. and also it's your black boy doing it, which you know it, it's already such a stereotype working against black boys in terms of like they're be characterized as unfaithful and like. Yeah. And the thing, like, and like even with Craig, like Craig gets to like we get to see him squirm and like be unsure about this and whatnot, and like the thing about the look into Manny's motives, like, for me, it's just, it's bad writing, because, like, I think I've said this before on this podcast, like, Willem Dafoe said it best, like, somebody asked him, like, what do you like to be play better, heroes or villains? They said, there's no difference. Everybody thinks they're righteous. If Manny believes this, she's not gonna call it evil. Like, if she's like, this is the mm, right path to go, yeah. why would, and she's not feeling guilt about it, why would she call it evil? She's yeah. just like, this is how the game is played, or something along those lines. Yeah, like a very page take. Like, a very, like, I, I'm here to win. Like... Yeah. But, like, I don't... I... I don't see Paige doing this. Paige intoxicated a girl to get Never the boy. Mo- and then she smooshed Jimmy when he was dating Ashley. Never mind. Yeah, no, Paige is not above this. <laughs> But Paige would tell Emma, like, this is what you have to do. Okay. The, uh, well, the, the one, the Paige kissing Jimmy in, in class. Bro, Ashley, Paige operates in open challenges. That's true. None of this, none of this sh- shadow skullduggery. She's like, no. <laughs> we deal with this in the light. <laughs> we deal with this honorably. <laughs> Swords of Dawn. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, like, that's, it's super fucked. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's really fucked up. Like, it's just very, like, Emma, Emma and the, her behavior in this episode really embodies that kind of white woman fragility that I think a lot of white women have difficulty <laughs> rectifying and coming to terms with. Like, if, if you need media portraying how this is so fucked like watch this episode and watch how emma behaves in contrast to all of the characters who um you know who are oh geez not white interesting Uh, emma could hop the bus from this episode head light right into a lifetime movie yeah well she has (laughs) a better lifetime movie one of the ones one of the ones that involves the terms evil occupation that a man is holding and back or something. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Regardless, even though Manny's like, yeah, it's evil, but it's effective, um, Emma decides that she can do it, and she just kind of goes like, whatever it takes, right? right? Against like, all odds. Oh, wait, that's the name of the episode. And then she winks at the camera. Right. Um, <laughs> so Emma zooms to try and get Chris's attention. Manny then flags Craig and asks him to dance. <laughs> When you say zooms, I, like the cat's been zooming all night, I just know she like skitters by. <laughs> <laughs> she was summoned. 
The demon possessed her. <laughs> she, like, and then she leads Chris away, and this keeps juxtaposing with, like, Manny and Craig, like, grinding on each other. Yeah, it's, like, really bizarre. It's, like, very, um, and I know we keep referencing this show, and not in a good way, but, like, it reminds me of, like, a Queer as Folk episode, where it's, like, you have, like, one plot going on, and then another character is hooking up with another character. It's like, kind of, like, that kind of jarring juxtaposition type deal that you see in, like, very sexualized TV shows, and, like, I didn't like it. Like, a lot of the vibe of this not only was a very dated episode, but there were aspects of this plot that just felt too, like, felt too gratuitous in comparison to past episodes. Like, it feels like we have seen the Degrassi writers handle teenage sexuality in a way that was less me trying to cover my eyes because I did not want to see it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it was just, there was something about this episode that felt so outlier. Like, kind of like that, that dance episode in the first season with Paige making Terry get drunk and things like that. Like, it was just so... Um, over the top in its its poor execution of things that characters didn't really seem right cinematography didn't seem right it, it the script didn't seem right like literally like none of it really was even even though Degrassi does not always have good episodes this felt bad in a way that was different from the bad episodes we've seen yeah yeah 100% like it was just like you said, a bunch of collection of bad pieces just kind of mix-matched together in, like, an even worse, like, conglomeration. It was it was rough. Yeah, like, uh, like Don't Believe the Hype, which was the last episode you were on, Jazz, like, I think had poor execution issues, but overall, it, it seemed like the writers were out of their depth, not so much that they had horrible, horrible intentions. I still don't think they were great. Yeah. This one felt way more malicious in terms of its execution. Hundred percent. I agree with you. Like they're just like, get the subtlety hammer. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, <laughs> so Chris gives Emma some water. She apologizes for the power and like you know the fight with the girlfriend. And Chris is just like, well, I'm always in trouble, which uh, like, <sighs> so like the worst stereotype is like the concept of the the nagging black girlfriend because like that's that's something that still is an issue like in black circles these days how about how black men complain about dating black women because oh they're such nags oh I'm so clingy oh I'm always in trouble and it's just it, it's just really telling like because apparently they either they knew about this as a as a concept and just decided to throw it in there but just like putting her in that situation Melanda uh, Chris's I guess now ex-girlfriend next to Emma who is like oh the the sweet girl who would never do any of that to to Chris is just like like you said malicious there's no other way to put it yeah no it's like it's just I don't know, it was just, like, very, like, when, as soon as she, like, hit the scene, I was like, oh, like, I feel like, like, my shoulders got raised, I was just like, oh, fuck, yeah. fuck, they're gonna go there? Ugh. Yeah. Um, and of course, after he says that, Emma's like, oh, like, do you want to, like, you know, want to talk? Okay, is it, I'm trying to remember where my favorite line of this episode is. Um, 
Because there's a part where he's just like, how's the environmental club? And Emma just goes, yes. Yeah, no, that's like the next part. <laughs> this is like Manny and Craig are dancing. They're grinding, but it's not super, super raunchy yet. Um, and then Chris asks about the environmental club. And yeah, she's just like, yes. And then she kind of goes, let's talk about you. And like, it's interesting. Her voice entirely changes when she delivers that line. It's very much like, uh, she sounded a lot like she was like, like weird, like you could tell that it was not, like she was trying to to channel what Manny was saying in her delivery. Like it doesn't really sound like Emma. Like yeah. she's, she's just like, Manny told me. Like it's kind of like the little, like she has like a little flow chart in her head and it's like, don't talk about the environment. It's like where, where that one ends. And it's like. Well, I mean, like Emma is so wrapped up in like her own mind all the time. Yeah. And like this is the first boy she's actually had to try with. It's true. She had to do literally nothing, and Sean thought she was the most brilliant girl in the world. Yeah. yeah I missed season one, Sean. And I Emma. know. I know. But, like, you, you know, like, people have been like, oh, like, people have seen me, and they're like, oh, wow, that's a pretty good flirt. I'm like, I was just talking to that person. But then was like, okay, I'm attracted to this person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Short circuited. Right. Brand has performed an illegal operation and must shut down. Right. Um,. So, so, you know, she kind of beefs it on that one um, and is trying to kind of follow Manny's advice. Manny and Craig then become, begin dancing more intimately. They're more pressed up against each other. I don't want to look at the screen, but I guess I gotta because I decided this was a good use of my time, this podcast. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. Um, <laughs> you don't even have to listen to those again. Yeah, right. Um, and then, meanwhile, Chris is talking about the craft of DJing, which could have been worthwhile. Talking about like the beat, and to kind of tap out the beat, he places his hands on her clavicle. <laughs> Bold of you to touch someone's clavicle without even having a date. <laughs> if I was Emma, and on my own, like issues i would have broken his nose at this point i hate having my collarbones touched like, yeah there's just, just the most awkward place to put your hands on it's just incredibly like like this is not the first area that i'm gonna touch somebody when i'm trying to like begin to flirt with them exactly. it just doesn't make any sense and like it doesn't make like it just like no <laughs> It doesn't make sense for, like, a knife grade to be like, all right, totally gonna glad that clav. Like, hold <laughs> her hand or something. And, like, tap like tap out the, the beat in Morse code or something. Because you know what's in a hand that's not in the clavicle? A pulse. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's just, like, ridiculous. And then, meanwhile, Manny is trying to lip a kiss. Uh, Craig says he should go, that he has a girlfriend. And Manny claims that she can keep a secret. Blech. It's just a nightmare. That is just like a like the Craig Manny situation. Just like a me watching a car crash. Like, but it's like five cars crashing simultaneously. Like that's how oh distressing God. it is. It's like you know, like like it's just like like there was like a video floating around of like a a. Thankfully, nobody got really hurt, but it was like people like cars slipping on ice and like kind of just piling back to back to back oh, to back. Yeah. Like that's what it feels like watching them. Well, but yeah, yeah. So, um, meanwhile, Chris leans in toward Emma, but, like, Emma kind of pulls back. And then we have Manny and Craig kissing, like, like making out. It's, like, gross. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to watch <laughs> teenagers do that. I'm pretty sure as a child, I was also terrified by this scene because, like, I was a small baby who was, like, <laughs> really terrified of sexuality for various reasons. Also raised Catholic, so forget that. Like, I see people hold hands, and I'm like, oh! Scandal. <laughs> like, like, watching these these kids make out, I was like, ugh. Um, but as an adult, I feel that way for different reasons. Because it's just... Ugh. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. All around. Like, it's bad because of, like, the, the realistic situation of, like, oh, Craig is cheating, for sure. Um, but it also is just, like, it's a really... I don't need to watch this ever. Like, I get it. They're, 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 you know. <laughs> I get it. They're smooching. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ugh. And then, meanwhile, Chris does land a kiss um, on Emma, and she just kind of pulls back, and she says, it's not you, it's me. Which, also, once again, it's like, why, Emma? Is it because you're a white, fragile girl? Like... What? How am I? How am I supposed to read this line in this context? Like, I understand we're supposed to believe that it's like, oh, it's because Manny's kind of told her to fit a role and she doesn't feel comfortable in that role. But like, once again, it, it, there's this racial aspect to it that's like really gross and uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, uh, like, like we were talking about with you know Emma being the. The oh so sweet fragile white woman being being come upon by this this not even he's not even aggressive about it like no but just him being aggre- the aggressor as the black man is Ugh. yeah like it's in in many ways it looks like the way that like his his reading on the situation seems pretty like clear like emma it's like it seems like it, it, you know emma's trying to flirt with him he's reciprocating He's not going super fast. He kind of is trying to get some indication from her before he continues. Like, it. he's not, like, forcing himself on her. He's not, like, just, like, even the kisses that they have, like, there's a lot of lead-up to it. A lot of them kind of slowly leaning in toward each other. There's a whole thing where he, um, like, they cut back to him, and he's just holding her shoulders. And yeah. Just, like... All right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, kind of an awkward thing, but, like, you know. Not the worst. Yeah. yeah, not the worst. Like, not just going for it, like, which would be the worst. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, like, kind of, like, there's nothing really, in many ways, he's being, like, fairly, like, gentle and lighthearted during it. Especially because, like, he doesn't go off on her for, for the power source thing, like, you know, and he doesn't make a big deal over it and, like, hang it over her head or anything. Like, he's being a pretty nice boy, minus the fact that, you know, his girlfriend situation. As far as we know, still yeah. the girlfriend. Yeah. 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 Pretty much still has the girlfriend, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, that's, that's you know, once again, regardless of him being, like, coming off aggressive at the end of the day, he's the cheater. Emma comes out of this situation with moral purity. Yeah. And she scurries away from him. She, like, wanders the rave and gets hit by a beach ball, which I found kind of funny. Um, and then takes a taxi home, sneaks in through the basement, and fucking 
oh, this is where I really like just felt like this, it this part took me out of this as a Degrassi thing. Like I didn't feel like I was watching Degrassi anymore because she walks in, she sees the, she like walks into her bedroom, walks in on her own bed and in her bed are Manny and Craig hooking up. Honestly, to me, this made sense considering Manny keeps like clothes in her locker and Emma's locker. Yeah, it just, but it felt so like, it felt like what I would expect a teen drama to do. Like, it just seems like low hanging fruit of sorts in terms of like, how can we get these two girls to hate each other? Oh, I know. There's no park bench you two could have gone to or something. Well, that's the thing. It's like you couldn't hook up in like a, the hallway. Like you are already making out on the dance floor. I feel like the change in scenery was not going to matter all that much to you guys. Yeah, and you're telling me nobody from Degrassi came to this rave. Right. Oh, shit. Yeah. Right? Like, like, ooh. That's also a good point. Because, like, Manny had those invites. Like, was she really, was, like, you know, is it just, like, she was just passing them out to anybody? Was she only passing it out to, like, Craig and a couple people? Like, regardless, it's very possible, like, she, you know, that... Could somebody could have ended up telling Ashley? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we're still in the flip phone era, but somebody could have taken like a really blurry photo <laughs> and sent it to her. Okay. okay, so who's that 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 pink blob? That's Manny. And who's that red one? That's Craig. Wait. <laughs> no, that's a drop of jelly. Oh, I didn't get a picture of it. All right, later. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's like. Yeah, there's a couple factors like that. Um, and <laughs> Quick, enhance. Okay, now they're blockier. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just like very like, it, like I said, it just feels very like what you would expect a teen drama to do as a source of conflict. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Manny, of course, is like, I'm sorry, I didn't know you'd be home so early, which like, what? Anyway. Excuse. Yeah, like, ooh. Um, and then like, you know, Emma accuses her of abandoning her at the rave which kind of did yeah. like there's no there's no way around that it's true um and emma like you know just like she's just can't be bothered to try and kick manny out of her bed craig like is running away basically as soon as the conflict arrives which also is really shitty like there's like this double layer of shittiness here going on because like craig is also like friends with emma and has been, like, you know, one of those, like, they, you know, family friend type situations because of the Spike Snake Joey connection. Yeah, like, I, I enjoyed seeing them together in Father Figures, and I was like, oh, cool, that would be awesome if that, like, kept going. Doesn't, doesn't, but... Yeah, like, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of things about this that just don't... I understand to a certain extent it's just me just not liking the development, but there's also elements of it that are, like... I just don't like that Craig, and I think Sean had this issue too, where Sean was very sensitive and sweet and, you know, was a little rough around the edges, but overall a good kid, much like Craig was portrayed in a way that's very sensitive and maybe doesn't do, always do the right thing, but, you know, a lot of the time has some pretty progressive ideas and, and well-meaning. And, like, I just don't like this idea now that he is such a horn dog that he's incapable of, like, doing anything. Like, what is that saying? Much like all the boys in Degrassi, except for Marco. Like, what are you saying about masculinity in your, in your show and not providing a model that your male viewers could maybe go off of and be okay? 
we had a whole episode about Taming of the Shrew and how that was like a, you know, uh, misogynistic piece of garbage. And then Craig's whole thing is like, well, my girlfriend won't put out, so I'm gonna like cheat on her with somebody who will. And it's just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. 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 And it's just like, I don't know. It's. The Rock would admire that heel turn back from back in his wrestling days. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Jesus. I just, I don't know. It, it, it upsets me on many levels. And on one hand, I know some of it is just my huge bias toward these characters. But there's also this element of it that just doesn't fucking make sense. It just doesn't. It's not interesting storytelling. It's not good storytelling. And it's somehow, in the case of Craig, it is making his characterization worse when they had such a strong foundation in season two. Yeah. But, um, I do feel like that was an issue like in season three where a lot of the progression that a lot of characters have made... It's like the writers somehow decided, like, oh, there's not enough conflict. Let's take that characterization and just roll it back a little. Yeah, it just is, like, infuriating because I feel like, I don't know, I just, I feel like these writers are incredibly lazy and short-sighted. And I think that's all there is to it. It's like, I think that they could have created plenty of conflict. Like, even something as simple as... Craig doesn't necessarily know, you know, like, Craig is, like, you know, has just the fact that he is an abuse survivor and trying to learn how to be in romantic relationships and how that does cause him to doubt things and question things and question intent and try to work out those emotions. Like, that's enough of a conflict. That would be interesting and compelling. You don't have to have him just be like every other horn dog on this fucking show. <sighs> so Emma flops on the sleeping bag on the floor. Uh, next day, I don't know what else are you gonna say, Frank. No, this is, I want this to end. Yeah. Not talking to you guys. Just want this episode to end. I understand. Um, I am sleepy though. We're making decent time, honestly. Um, all things considered. Uh, but yeah, Manny. Next sh- next morning or next, I guess Monday. Manny walking through the hall, um, and she calls to Emma, and Emma just kind of storms off. Um, once Manny meets up with Emma, she, at, like, Emma just kind of snaps at Manny, and it's like, you know, have you even considered that Craig has Ashley? Um, and Manny's like, yeah, so what? We, like, hooked up prior. Um, and, you know, Emma takes a lot of issue with that. Once again, Emma is the moral compass of this episode, whether it's deserving or not. Um... And, you know, she takes a lot of issue with that and, like, you know, how could you type deal. Um, and Manny's like, well, at least, like, you know, like, you know, you're a stuck-up prude princess. Um, Emma calls her the school slut. Um, and it's just ugly. And boom, freeze frame. With two of them in the shot in the hall. And, like, you could just put, like, a versus between them at this point. Yeah, right. And the thing is, is, like, the only thing that I will give this aspect of the plot any credit is the sense that, like, it's obvious that they did not resolve these issues from You Got the Look. But also I feel like it should have been, that should have been more the focus of the story. Oh. It, it shouldn't have been this weird racialized bullshit with Chris. It should have been the fact that, you know... It, it, it could have been a really interesting lesson in, like, support and how, like, you know, supporting someone going through a hard time 
doesn't necessarily mean that like you you're going to be able like everybody is in the right all the time either like finding that balance between supporting someone during a rough period but also advocating for yourself and expressing your hurt is an important lesson that I think even adults could benefit from yeah. and I wish that was yeah. the actual takeaway from the plot it's not this sea dog in the house so how about that rating for this episode frank d wow no hesitation yeah like i was like like my mind said c minus then the council of frank said d fair it's just offensive like it's just so offensive and i'm just i'm just done I'm just done with this episode. Like, uh, can we get some, like, uh, anything but this? It's not as bad as she's too young. <laughs> That's true, but, like, it's pretty hard to be as the, bad the, as the she's The basement too young. is there. But, but it's just, like, it was such a mess. Yeah. This feels like such a time capsule of all the shitty ideas we had in movies and TV back then. Yeah. It's true. I'm just, I'm just, I'm done with that time period. I agree. So. Um, and then we'll go to character rankings, which Jazz and I will sit pretty because I think also we're very clear in our bias, which is Marco is our good, good son and that's it. Yeah, I literally wrote Marco as an S rank, an S plus rank, because Marco is my very, very good son. But I also gave Chris an A because I feel like he deserves better. That's fair. I think those are the most fair things you could say about this episode. Um, yeah, and that, so here's, I'm just gonna do a quick, okay, so besides who I name, everybody's just going down the fucking toilet this year, this week. I'm so tired of these characters' bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chris, you guys, you were done dirty by this stupid show. Um, Emma, no, excuse me, didn't mean to mention you. Um, Oof. Jimmy, Oof. doing your best. Marco, doing better than your best. Doing S rank. Ashley and Emma, not, excuse me, Ashley and Ellie. God, Ashley and Ellie, I hope you're having a better time than I did. Oh. I do ship those two. But after Whisper to a Scream, Paige and Ellie became my main ship. Fair. Both of these are fair. Just, like, I don't know, just, like, the whole, like, I'll be here for you thing, and then... I know, I'm a sucker for that, too. Yeah. Anyway, um, everybody else, like I said, you're going down the toilet this week. Fuck. Oof. Oof. And not even JT and and Toby were in this fucking episode, and yet... (laughs) Honestly, I'm, I'm hoping JT and Toby were just playing ping pong or something, like... Anything but this. Like, I would have just, lo- like, love a, like, meanwhile, back at the ranch, and they're just, like, <laughs> and, like, they're just, oh, my God, it's, like, 2004. Uh, they're just playing, like, Final Fantasy Seven, and, like, one of them just has the, <laughs> the fucking players, like, the strategy guide open, and they're, like, we're gonna beat Sephiroth tonight. Should there, should there be something else we're doing? No, 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 we're just gonna beat Sephiroth tonight. <laughs> that is an entire night's activity. It's true. <laughs> Um, so yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so shall we move on to recommendations? Yeah. So, 
As always, recommendations are things that we find related to the themes of the episode or just things that we are enjoying right now. Um, I'm going to recommend a book. It's called Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead. Um, it is a book that I just finished up. It's very stream of consciousness. It's focused on a indigenous uh, two-spirit person who is um, going through life and reflecting on memories relating to um, his life living on a reservation, Canada, as well as eventually moving out toward, um, I believe he ends up in Winnipeg. Um, so it's a very interesting piece. The reason why I specifically think it's a good one to kind of take a look at is it's a character who is um, finding, has a lot of issues with and trying to come to terms with um, sexuality and attraction and how to use it. Um, the character is a sex worker and kind of speaks to the tense relationship that the character has between like you know sex for work and sex for pleasure and sex for intimacy so um it's something worth reading it's also written by somebody who is indigenous and two-spirit as well um so it's a book that i'm really glad was on my radar and i'm glad that i read um it's definitely an acquired taste it's very stream of consciousness um which if if that's something that you're into i think it's definitely worth checking out I find the characters to be very interesting and compelling to read, so um, I feel like it has a reason to keep you grounded um, in the story, so I would definitely recommend that if you're looking for something just that gives something more than this bullshit. <laughs> uh, Jazz, you got anything? thing I have is that Overwatch League started back <laughs> the past week or two, so I've been really into Overwatch, but um, Blizzard did just release the latest hero, whose name is Baptiste, and he is a beautiful black combat medic who has some really cool abilities in his kit, um, and so Blizzard isn't, isn't great, no. especially not with, like, <laughs> good... No representation across the board after you know they delivered to us three white women in our um but you know baptiste is is good um if you would like you know a woman a black woman finally uh you can check out apex legends which delivered two of them and the biggest dunk on blizzard um and they're both really cool <laughs> really cool characters like really unique designs both of them have interesting different you know roles in their respective game and are both fantastic so you know if you want to see some black characters not done dirty check out some video games i remember um i forget who was telling me like because i was playing overwatch for a bit and somebody was telling me about Jazz, about you being like, black woman, black woman, black woman. And it's like, new announcement, hamster. And it's like, damn it! Yeah, yeah. Like, it literally, it literally felt like the biggest insult back to back. Because after, I think we got, I think the, the hero before um, the wave of white women that we started to get was um, Orisa, who oh, was yeah. a robot who, you know, sure, she's voiced by a black woman and she's created in, like, universe by, like, a cool, smart little black girl, but, like, not a playable black woman blizzard. And then they deliver to us literally, like, two white women. Rat. Another white woman. 
And it's just like, mm, this isn't what we want. But then Apex Legends drops. It's like, here you go. Two black women. And it's just like... Jess? Jess? Oh, no. Jess! Jess got so excited. They disappeared. Have I returned? Oh, yes, oops. you returned. You got, like, so excited. You ejected yourself out of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I think I might have hit my mic. Um, but, yeah, basically, Apex just kind of did a huge dunk on Blizzard. It's just like, here's two black women. Uh, eat shit. And Blizzard, I still don't know. I, I don't know that they know how to handle it. So they're like, uh, here's another black guy. Which, you know, cool. At least his hair's not fucked up like Lucio's is. But True. Yeah. <laughs> or he's not, not gonna make me play your game again. <laughs> or he's just not a dude named Doomfist. <laughs> I'm I'm fond of Doomfist though. They, yeah. like, they, they didn't do him as bad as they could have. That's true. Yeah. <sighs> I love Akande. He's good. But yeah, so <laughs> that's that's all I've got. <laughs> Alright. I'm going to nominate i I'm gonna recommend a um a, a comedy series about seventh graders called Pen Fifteen. Oh, I've been hearing oh, I've about heard that. Of this. Okay. Um, Don- Excellent title, considering it's about seventh graders. Yeah, Donnie, I'm going to show you two women. Tell me their ages. Oh, yeah. oh give me a second. These are definitely not seventh graders. They are <laughs> thirty-one. Yes, I was going to say late twenties, early thirties. Okay. Yeah, I I was completely done in by it because he's just like, yeah, you know the, the two main characters, like, oh yeah, yeah, they they're thirty one. I was like, what? <laughs> but it I can tell because I work with seventh graders. Okay, <laughs> so it's it's written by these two women, and it is difficult to watch, Oof. not because of anything problematic, but because it is so goddamn real. That you are going to flash back to your own seventh grade, like. I don't know if I want to do this. I, I literally have to do this every day. I mean, yeah, fair enough, but like, <laughs> I, we watched, Susie and I watched the first three episodes for Teen Girl Talk. Mm-hmm. It, it was, we were supposed to do a movie called Fighting With My Family, that didn't work out, but like, Susie's like, oh, I'll suggest this, and like, cool. And. The first three episodes were pretty solid, but it just was like, oh, oof, oof. I remember doing that. Oof. No. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what, how do you watch it? Where is it on? Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu. Cool. And the third episode is all about female masturbation, which is not a subject I've ever seen covered. So. Hmm. Um, hmm. I think. I might have to actually get Hulu. <laughs> yeah, right. Or find somebody who has it. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta coordinate it very carefully, cause like yeah. they're very particular. You can't get the multiple screen options like Netflix. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty rad. Like um, the two main characters are pitch perfect and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend it. Nice. Um, with that said, Jazz. You've made it through. Oh, somehow. Yeah, right? Some way, somehow you have. 
Um, are there <laughs> ways, do you have anything you would like to promote and or ways that people can reach out to you? Um, I do actually have a thing that I can promote. Um, so I recently um, made it into an, another anthology called Five Minutes at Hotel Storm Cove. It's also being published by um, Addis, at, Addis, Addis Arts, I think. Um, what is it? A-T-H-I-S. Um, it's also the same publisher that me and Donnie worked with for As Told By My Thing. Um, and I've got a little piece about um, two black trans witches just hanging out in a hotel bathroom making some bootleg potion um, for five minutes. And I believe, I think the Kickstarter is over, but you can still pre-order copies on um, Addis Arts website. Uh, and so yeah, check it out. My sister also got in, so yeah. she's got um, <laughs> a piece about like I think a a wear shifter, like a shifter who is instead of like you know a wolf or a cat, I think she's a bear. Um, so yeah, check it out. <laughs> and if you um want to follow me on social media, which um I guess you can do if that is something that you 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 want to put upon yourself, um you can follow me um at Jazz Array J A Z Z A R R A Y E on Twitter, and um you know just watch me holler about boys playing playing Overwatch for hours upon end. Heck yeah! Um, and to reiterate, <laughs> um, at this arts has been like a really great um bunch that's really been supportive of jazz as well as my like writing careers and it's been a really really exciting experience working with them um emily who's like the the editor of the two anthologies that we've been involved in is, is like super great and um very supportive and definitely check out the definitely check out the, the anthologies but also try and see some of the other stuff see if it tickles your fancy because um they're a really good group really trying to do some nice independent publishing, so definitely check yeah, it out. they're really good people who really love to, like, actually actively seek out to hire um, and amplify diverse voices. So yes. it's definitely people that, you know, you want to put your, your time and money towards. Absolutely. Um, sorry to interrupt our closing credits. Donnie, you never told me what Stan means. I have not told you what Stan means. Did you look it up just now? No. I gotta wait. It, it hasn't come in organically yet. Dang it. Okay. You gotta wait another week. <laughs> Poor Frank. I know. You gotta wait another week. Oh no. However I live. I know, right? <laughs> not knowing what Stan is, but not the name. Yeah. That being said, if you want to spoil what's, what that word means, you can try, but I checked the email. You can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com, uh, where you can send any questions, comments, concerns, um, as well as any potential audio clips or um, texts that you want us to put into the show, talking about your relationship with Degrassi, characters that have made an impact on you, specific seasons, episodes, whatever. We are going to gladly air it. Um, we also encourage you to contact us if you're interested in becoming a guest on our show. Um, it is a awesome little thing. Um, you get to hang out with us uh, via Discord, most likely, or maybe Skype, or maybe in person. Who knows? Um, you get to talk. You get to chat with us for vaguely 
two and a half, three hours about Degrassi, um, and is also a thing that you get, you can be paid for, which is really fun. Um, my recommendation is keep in mind that we operate with a bit of a buffer, which we've revealed quite a bit today. Um, so if you are interested in any episodes, please do not hesitate to email us at ihopod at gmail.com with what episode, season, whatever you are interested in, or if you're just somebody who's just happy to be here and willing to kind of appear on any episode. Um, if you want to keep in touch with us on social media, you can reach us on Twitter at IHopePod. Um, if you'd like to find no ways to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do so. You can donate a coffee to our coffee account. All the funds that we receive are going to be put toward tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. Um, and you also have the opportunity to um, support the show and potentially get new content from us. So we are really interested in checking out the original Degrassi and we figured the easiest way to do it is to kind of give it as a treat to you. Uh, once we hit 20 reviews, we are going to go into the Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High archives and listen to a couple, watch a couple of those episodes, record, um, record some new content and release it as bonus episodes accompanying our usual The Next Generation analysis. So if that's something you're interested in, please do not hesitate to rate or review, and we will um, be able to check out some of those original Degrassi episodes. Um, I do not have a Twitter, but you will find by this point my YouTube channel in the descriptions. Um, I should... And I also have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk, which... Tomorrow will hit its two-year anniversary. Woo! Congratulations! Um, this will come up like two weeks after that, but whatever. Whatever! Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, uh, Donnie texted me today. He's like, what are we doing for our, the year anniversary? It's coming up in May. And I was like, how old is Teen Girl Talk? I was like, oh shit, it's tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Um. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, that is just my sister and I talking about other media that's not Degrassi, but still for teens. Um, it's, our catchphrase is too old to be teens, too funny not to listen to, and also the podcast for people with too many feelings. Good. So. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Um, in terms of pro things I'm promoting, uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, the Kickstarter is going to be completed, but I'm going to be featured in an anthology very soon called X Marks the Spot, which is a collection of essays, art, and uh, writing about being non-binary. Um, so I wrote an essay on there, in there, um, and there's a couple other really nice, interesting narratives and stories being shared in it. Um, so definitely keep your eye out on it. Uh, because I think that it's going to be potentially a really cool, fun anthology. Um, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, I that's all I got today. Um, and it, my cats have disappeared. No, they're asleep. And that is a sign that we must also... They're spooning on, on the chair together. I know, they're so good. But they also indicate that we need to uh, go to sleep ourselves, so... Um, we hope we keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye. To me, coming from you, friend.
I